How's your volume? Loud. Is it? That's good. <laughs> I like mine loud. This is one of my favorite parts. Yeah. The whole forest. Oh, yes. So a epic. Nora, Nora and I were in... Um, I'm getting some interesting reverb there. That's it. Are you? <clears throat> yeah. Is, are your speakers on? No. Uh, anyway. Um, we were in... Yeah, I get this really decay. No, there's nothing going on. That's weird. Okay. I'll deal it's with it. It's all in your head. It's all... Oh, I mean, right? it's true. So Nora and I were in... Uh, um, by Crescent City in the red in the uh, old growth redwood forest that's <clears throat> the grove of the titans with you know like 2,000 year old trees right and uh, I was singing this song the whole time. <laughs> that's perfect that's great <laughs> yeah so uh, Scott thanks for joining me today this is gonna be fun yeah it's a pleasure have a couple beers mm-hmm. uh, listen to some music talk about rush what do you have to say about rush i mean one of the greatest bands ever um definitely uh was in the pantheon of of complete awesomeness and when i was in high school um yeah and this is this is pre when they went all poppy and stuff because i graduated in 82 so um, yeah so i remember when hemispheres came out oh really yeah yeah Yeah. what what year was this record uh 78 yeah Yeah, okay. I think I saw this tour as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been going to shows for a long time. Yeah, I mean, from like sixth grade on, I was like seventy six. I was it was when I first started going to shows. Okay. Yeah, I never got to see Rush, so I'm a little bummed today. Yeah. But uh, I, they're kind of hit and miss for me. Yeah. Uh, early stuff I loved, '80s stuff. Yeah. It's okay here and there. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, they. Uh, yeah, I kind of. Um, yeah, that was up to a, up to a certain point, and then I moved on to yeah. many many other things. So. Yeah. Would you move on to from Rush? Um, I mean, was, sorry to interrupt, but like, was yeah. Rush like hugely important, or were they? Oh yeah. 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 No, I would say like in high school. Well, I mean, it started out with the Beatles. When right. I, you know, so I was I was born. Um, the like five days before the Beatles hit number one in the U.S. Oh, really? Wow. With I Want to Hold Your Hand and all nice. that, all that you know, uh-huh. hoopla, which just dramatically changed everything. So then um, I probably, I mean, my, it's kind of a weird thing. So I pretty much only listened to the Beatles for about 12 years. Okay. Like only. Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, my dad had a massive record collection. Yeah. And he, you know, he was huge into Roxy Music and Brian Eno. Oh, wow. And, like, he had music cool. for airports and shit like that when I was That's a kid. That's unusual. Right? Yeah. Very unusual. Yeah. Um, but he was a big, you know, Beatles, Rolling Stones fan, mostly rock yeah. and roll. Um, okay. Did like some jazz, a lot of classical. He was uh-huh. hugely into classical. Um, and I found from an early age that the way I got to stay up late at night was to... Uh, ask him some obscure question about like Donovan or somebody, you know? Okay. Yeah. And he'd be, and he'd just start playing records for me. And then, uh, pretty soon my mom would be, you know, saying like, Oh no, he's got to go to bed. You know, like stop this. And I said, okay, one more song, just one more song. (laughs) That's awesome. So, um, so I started off, I mean, I had a pretty decent, you know, amount of, of musical background from a very early age, but, um, by the time I got into high school, you know, it was just, I mean, all the basic 
classic rock stuff of the day. Right. Like Led Zeppelin was massive. Oh yeah. yes, uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Um, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, right. You know, so it's um, like 1967 and 1973 really is kind of the era of like if that's mm -hmm. going to define sort of the way I think about music, it really was that chunk of time. And then oh, interesting. Okay. You, you know, so like you know when you go back and you start looking at, um, you know, like. Um, what was that initial thing that makes you resonate in a particular way and right. everything else relates to that? Yeah, totally. So even punk rock relates to that. Right. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, 67 to 73. Yeah. 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 And so it's yeah. like, so it's, you know, it's, uh, but in high school, yeah, Rush, you know, came in as, you know, and they were sort of the new, new kids in town or whatever. Right. But, um, but oh man, I was a massive, massive fan and, and they came through at least once a year. So I saw them five or six times at oh, least wow. in that era. Um, that's awesome. But then when I went off to college, I was doing a radio show and that's right at the time of when punk and wave were starting to kind of hit okay. big. And so I was doing a wave show and, uh, ended up, uh, I was doing the show, um, next to a friend of mine Sorry. <laughs> that, that, uh, um, uh, Paul who uh, was doing a punk show and he's the one that really turned me deep into punk rock. So it started out as a wave show, you know, mm -hmm. so I went from, from, like deep rock and roll working in record stores to start like, Oh, it's this tangerine dream. What's this other oh, thing? Nice. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know, who are, uh, who are the buggles? Who are the, you know, oh, um, the buggles. I love the buggles. You know, so, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, uh, Tom, Tom club and just uh -huh. like all the shit yeah. that was starting to happen at sure. that time. And, uh, um, so like early eighties. Yeah. Early eighties. Yeah. Things were starting to open up to where like, wait a minute, you know, and, and unfortunately I was doing time in Utah. And so, uh, Ooh, things did not time, yeah. infiltrate very easily into right. that place. You know, it's like, welcome to Utah, set your clocks back 30 years. Totally. Yeah. So um, so by the time I started uh, shifting into, which is getting back to your original question, what knocked me out of, uh, out of that, out of Rush, was, um, was starting to just go out and explore all these different other, all this other music. Right. And I was doing radio and it was like wave and then it was wave punk and then it was wave punk industrial and then it was punk industrial and then it was industrial and then it was industrial noise. Right. And then, and then I was gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was like, so if you were to like pinpoint it with a specific band, it'd be Rush and then um, like those bands that just like really did it for you. Beatles. Um, yeah, it was, I don't know. It's hard. It's like Beatles, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Um, Led Zeppelin was just massive for a while. Um, and then I'm kind of blanking on the whole eighties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, once like there was a bunch of wave stuff that was interesting, uh -huh. but it was once, you know, like, um, Agent Orange and the Descendants mm -hmm. and uh, Black Flag. Yep. Um, um, you know, once those once once you kind of hit that, it was like, oh, <laughs> everything right. else is irrelevant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, but then up to a point where then it got to be, um, you know, in the noise scene, where punk became irrelevant. You know, I just I don't right. know. You move around. You yeah, listen to shit. Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem I ever had was was like hating stuff that I liked before because I had to hate it because now I like something different. Right. Did you fall into that though? Oh fuck yeah, huge. Yeah. I I did I did do a certain point, and then I got to be a certain age, and I was like, you know what? I love Def Leppard. Fuck everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't care. Yeah. Well, Cinderella that happened with awesome. me with Rush as well. Yeah. Where, you know, I finally came back into him years later and went, oh, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 
it happens to me now and then where I'm like, yeah, I'm just not into that anymore. And then somebody will play it or talk about it. And I'm like, actually, that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The worst of that was, I mean, I, out of, out of any band, my favorite band in the universe that has ever existed is Pink Floyd. Yeah. I just, I mean, I am so, I am beyond massive fan, especially right. the kind of the, um, the Pompeii era is okay. my favorite. Mm -hmm. But so my ex wife um, was working for one of the local radio stations in San Francisco and says, Hey, you know, we have we tickets for, um, I can get you tickets for Pink Floyd, um, probably backstage even because they were the, our record, the, her record station was right. putting on the show. Okay. And I'm like, Oh no, I don't listen to them anymore. Oh, wow. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so I, I never got to see Pink <clears throat> Floyd as all of them. I've seen Roger Waters and mm. David Gilmore and Nick Mason yeah. separately, right? But I never got to see them all together. Oh no! And yeah. you had the chance to. Yeah, yep. I've had a few moments that are kind of similar to that. Um, Faith No More is a really important band to me, mm -hmm. and uh, back in late '80s or so, before they hit with anything, they came through town opening for Metallica on the Injustice for All tour. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, I don't like Metallica. I don't know who this faith whatever band is. And uh, so I didn't go. I had a chance to go. Didn't go. And like I said, it was before Faith No More made it big. And it was like six months later they blew up. And a year later I was just like <laughs> head over heels with them. Right, right. And now in retrospect, it's just like, it was like I could have done it. It was like yep. right there. But I think we talked about it. Do you ever see the King Buzzo uh, Faith No More? So, because you know how how Buzzo played with uh, Patton. Mike Patton, yeah, right, Phantomas, right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, look it up online. Uh -huh. There's a YouTube of it where he talks about um, how much of a fan he is of Mike Patton because of him. Okay, they're back. Just super quick. They're backstage yeah. before one of their shows, and some uh -huh. music's playing, and King Buzzo goes. What the fuck is this? This is the worst piece of shit music I've ever heard in my entire life. And it was Faith No More. Yeah. <laughs> and, but anyway, the story he tells is, is really is just classic. That's it's great. So good. That's well, I could go on about Patton for six hours, but that is some that's one of the reasons I do love Patton is because he can do sixty percent of his output. I adore and 40% I'm like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> but I really admire that too and I, I like it when people are just like so all over the map and doing right. such they're experimenting so much and they're doing so many different things that it's it can't always be you know they can't always be winners yeah yeah so so when, when did you get into Rush what was your trajectory well and by the way we're talking about Rush tonight because the late great Neil Peart died today or uh, sometime recently they said the thing I read that he actually died on Monday, today being Friday, but they decided to give it a few days for the family and the band to process before the announcement. Okay. Um, yeah, he passed away this week, and uh, I just found out a couple hours ago. I just found out about thirty minutes ago. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I don't. I'm not. On the, I'm not on the line during day, the day very much. Right. Did Matt tell you? Yeah, Matt told me. Yeah. Well, I, wa I walk in into Whippa. <laughs> 
and they're playing Rush, and I'm like, right on. Oh, they were, yeah. And, and so I go over to Matt, and I'm like, right on. And he's like, to Neil Peart. And I'm like, yeah, to Neil Peart. Wait a second. Why? Did, Why he, did he die today? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know he was sick, but then yeah. I, yeah, brain cancer. Yeah. I didn't know. I think that's why they stopped touring yeah i knew yeah. what i knew is that they stopped touring because there was something to do with neil but i didn't know what that was i assumed it was health related somehow but anyway to answer your question uh my relationship with rush is very problematic <laughs> um <laughs> growing up i loved moving pictures uh, and beyond that, I didn't know much. And but I have a couple of very close friends that are obsessed with Rush as much as you are with Pink Floyd. So much pushing for me to listen to Rush and check them out more. But that usually doesn't work on me. It makes me turn around and walk the other way. So I actually really didn't get into Rush until I saw the documentary. <laughs> and just seeing their relationship and how they work together it was i found it fascinating yeah and especially neil um i had no idea that he was the main lyricist you know there's like all this like deep rush stuff that i had no idea about so that documentary really turned me on to them since then i've listened to i think everything i think all their output with mixed results some of it i love some of it i don't um not a huge fan of like the first two records but then that period after that, I really like. And then once they get into like power windows, I'm yeah. pretty much checked out. Google Fi, a phone plan There's a... by Google. These I'll cut this stuff out. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to cut this shit out, man. This is see, I actually pay for Pandora, so I don't have to listen to this when I, I when I do pan, you know, when I stream Pandora. I, I pay for Spotify. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm playing this on YouTube. Actually, I, I didn't. I did not intend to. <laughs> <laughs> record this and have the episode start this way but one time one time I did this before I was listening to Master of Puppets just cuz and I had a guest come over and we just started the podcast like that and right. it was really fun yeah, yeah. So, whatever well I mean and this is you know I mean had I actually had some on my iPod right now I would have uh, um, we could have been playing it Without right commercials. Uh, well, yeah. the commercials are fun. No, they're not. <laughs> no, commercials they're not. suck. There's, yeah. I mean, seriously, there's nothing I hate more in the universe than commercials. Oh, I agree. I really, really. I, I, I have a knee jerk, like, yeah, absolute hate reaction yeah. to commercials. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because now, like, I'm never exposed to them. I don't listen to the radio. Obviously, now I'm hearing them because of YouTube, but I rarely listen to music on YouTube. It's Spotify or vinyl or CDs or something. I don't have cable. I never hear commercials. So when I do, it sounds, it just feels like a violation. Yep. And like my kids, they, they don't even know what commercials are hardly. When they were growing up, they'd see a commercial at like my grandma's house or something like that. And they'd be like, what is this short show? Like, <laughs> turn it back to the other one. Like, I, I was watching that. Yeah, you can ask Nora. Like, I swear the most when a commercial comes on. Oh, they're, they're insulting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's the, the massive capitalistic shove crap down yeah. your throat thing that I hate. You know, oh, so. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. That's, that's awful. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we've been recording for 34 minutes Oh yeah, whatever. And uh, we got hours. Yeah, I haven't even introduced you yet. You don't need. Nobody to. knows who you are. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. No, nobody doesn't gets, matter. Nobody fucking cares. No, they'll. They I have could... a dedicated fan base of twelve people. Come 12? on, man. Really? Twelve. Uh, thirteen since you've met me. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lucky number thirteen. 
<laughs> wow. So we've only known each other about a year now, right? A little, uh, um, little, a little over? over a year. Yeah. And and I have to applaud you, sir, for re-kickstarting me playing live again. Oh, thank you. Because well, I mean, I had done a few things with Ohm. Yeah. But um, but for me to sort of get back into okay, I'll play volatile. I'll start doing solo mm-hmm. sets again. Was all because you had me come to Azoth last December or thank a year you. ago, December. Yeah, that's great. So, I love hearing that. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to clarify for anybody listening that the ohm that you speak of is not om no no those guys are boring it is a u m e <laughs> pronounced the same or similarly yeah but well we would have been om except it was taken so yeah 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 so uh yeah well that's great i'm glad that you're doing that again that's awesome well also ohms an acronym Oh yeah, it is, and it's, it spells it out on the yeah. On the record it's agere rindum mentis epode, which means which is in Latin, and it means um, to begin the scorching of the mind through epic poem. Whoa, nice. Okay, that reminds me of your soundtracks for the dead record. <laughs> that is very poetic. <laughs> <laughs> so besides Ohm, moving on. Uh, besides Ohm. What else, what else do you do as an artist? Um, well, the last, the last five years or so really was a focus on Ohm. Mm -hmm. Well, initially it was the focus on cleaning up, um, a bunch of unfinished business. So I, I had gone through many, like 20, 25 years of a ton of things with, F space and so a ton is a solo. Um, and then, um, had a, uh, gotten a divorce and, uh, needed to feed my kids. And, yeah. you know, the music industry just pays so well. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. And, uh, and so at a certain point I was like, I got to keep a roof over their heads and feed them. Mm-hmm. So I just like, one of the, like one of the phrases that's, that defines me really is, um, this uh, this line from Dickens actually that says um, he did each single thing as if he did nothing else, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm so hundred percent focused on anything that I'm doing that I, nothing else in the universe exists. Right. Like I'm only in that spot. I'm only doing that thing. Right. So um, at that time, I I ended up having to um, uh, work basically thirteen hour days. Um, I was a rock climbing coach and did route setting for gyms and whatever. And I would come home after that and I'm like, yay, now I'm going to be creative, which, you know, is pathetic and there's no way. And I just couldn't focus because that just wasn't it. So, um, so I was about seven years of, I just had to take a gap to, excuse me, um, take care of the kids, do be be an adult, do the shit I needed to do. Yeah. So coming off that, um, I was in, uh, England and in London with Nora for my, uh, 50th birthday and, uh, which was an awesome trip because, the way that we went and it was, um, what are all the things that you want to see that are relevant to your life? And it had nothing to do with the normal stuff that people do. So it's like, well, I got to see Battersea power station, which is the animals album cover. Uh Um, I got to see where Jimi Hendrix played his first show. Uh I got to see where the clash rehearsed, you know, you know, so it was kind of this whole, we mapped out all over, um, London and, you know, in, uh, um, the areas around it. Um, Compton, and, uh, not Compton, Compton. Yeah, not Compton, um, 
What's the place? Where Camden. Camden. Thank you, Camden. <laughs> I love so, Camden, by the way. <laughs> yeah, straight out of Camden. Yeah, it's a great album. One of the best albums ever made. Um, so, uh, so we went around and just checked out all this like really cool stuff that was, you know, that that resonated to my life and yeah. you know where I came from. That's awesome. So, uh, so anyway, on my fifteenth, Nora said, "Well, okay, you're halfway through. What's for the next fifty? You know, what do you want to do?" And I said. I want to be more prolific and clean up all the crap that I'm always talking about finishing, like Ellie, the cement album, mm -hmm. um, Mayflies Falling Wounded, where Echoes Were Wailing Destruction, which is this text-based, cut-up text-based, um, very psychedelic, um, uh, almost a play in okay. a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then get launched back into performing and playing again and, and right. recording recording stuff. And so... So that last five years was kind of this, like, this is what I want to do. And then the last album, CQCQ, came out. Well, not the last one. The one a year ago in October. Right. CQCQ came out, and I was like, oh, okay. Did it all. Oh, shit. What next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so right after that is right when you said, hey, come play, you know, come play oh, with Volatile yeah. again. And I'm like, oh, I'm going retro, man. This is what I was doing 20 years ago. Do I want to do this again? Is, I mean, am I just playing the hits? Is this like the Rolling Stones going back on tour? Right. You know? But what I realized when you play with fire, it's, <laughs> it's so alive. No show is the same. Right. That, the instrument is constantly being destroyed. Yeah. You know? And so you're, you're always on your toes of what's mm -hmm. happening. And, it got, and I just got excited about it again. And so yeah. that sort of launched into that. And then um, Ohm happened to get another album out. But, um, but really the shift right now is more into building new instruments, which is mm -hmm. what I've been doing the last couple of months. Um, and was freezing my ass off today in my garage working on stuff. It's so nice. cold right now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so getting back into playing live, um, uh, F space is somewhat regrouping, which is really just Ethan port from, uh, Savage Republic. Mm -hmm. Um, Aleph from Chrome, who is in Ohm with me is not, um, not playing with us at this point. Okay. Um, but so Ethan and I have this European tour coming up in March that is just going over to that's great make fire and noise. Yeah. So I want to clarify for anybody that's not familiar when you say play with fire, you are literally playing with fire. Can you describe that instrument that you built? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't really understand how that works. So um, volatile is a four foot long uh, six inch diameter tube uh, made out of titanium, which actually used to belong to Zev. Um, I don't know if you know the performance, the uh, percussionist artist. I Zeph. do, but I don't know why. But that uh, name it's probably very... huge in the industrial um, yeah, kind okay. of scene. Anyway, um, so I wired it up with springs and strings and piano wire and yeah. it's all um, transducers and everything on it, so it's very loud. Um, then I have two, there's two propane feeds that shoot into it. One is a kind of a pilot drone source that fills okay. the instrument full of fire, with a second um, jet that shoots propane back at that that's operated by a foot pedal so i can either kick down hard on the foot pedal and blast mm -hmm. like a six foot diameter by a 12 foot long fireball at one end or i can just sort of float like push a little less pressure and float fire around me out of both sides of it and mm -hmm. it's kind of amorphous cloud of of um heat wow um and then you know everything's heavily amplified and right big and bombastic and I, yeah yeah hit and then it hard and so. you uh you play it with Standard drum drumsticks. Um, I use marching drumsticks, yeah. Okay. Like big, big heavy-duty marching, marching ones. Yeah. 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 But I've noticed they, they tend to splinter and often catch fire. Yeah. Cause, well, the tube, the tube itself gets, gets up to 380 degrees while I'm playing it. Okay. Damn. So yeah. um, you just stick the sticks on it and they mm -hmm. instantly burst into flames. Right. 
I've noticed that when you play, yeah. sometimes you like pause for a second yeah. and kind of. It's dramatic. Yes, yeah, it is. It's 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 dramatic. Um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating. It's really really cool. I've never seen anything like it. Although I, I googled you and I saw some old videos of you where you were, it looked like you were using bare fists and pounding on big plates of steel and there's fire somehow involved but the video was so old and grainy it was really hard to tell but it really looked like you were just a ball of fire yeah well that's the that's the intent yeah <laughs> i mean it's i you know i mean i've lit myself on fire a few times but not horribly so but from the audience <laughs> perspective I, it, I should look like i'm bathed in flames all the yeah. time yeah but um the one you're talking about is um this instrument called dante which was um it started out as other aspects of this, but it, it developed into a three foot by four foot steel tray with a floating sheet of steel over the top of it. Okay. Um, that was full of isopropyl alcohol. And when oh, I, wow. Okay. so when I would yeah. hit down hard on it, it mm -hmm. would kick 15 feet of flames, two feet in front of me. Um, right. It's this wall of fire. And, uh, and the very first shows I did it were with my bare fists, but I yeah. burned all the skin off and bruised the hell out of myself and decided that wasn't uh, sustainable. Right. So I developed into uh, gloves and padded gloves, and then it ended up into uh, contact mics that were used as triggers that would trigger other sound sources out of the gloves. And I'm like, well, I'm on my knees. I should wear knee pads and have triggers in the knee pads. Right. Um, so everything that I'm hitting is amplified as well. Yeah. Um, so it was extremely cathartic and, and you know, um, but as, as dramatic as it was, it was very much performance art. Um, yeah. The sonic abilities of what I could do was pretty limited. Mm -hmm. um, so at a certain point, besides like really fucking my wrists up because, you know, you're slamming hard on steel constantly, yeah. um, was I wanted to be able to do more tonality. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of this quest for doing that, but I keep getting sucked into the, the big bombastic um, kind of um, theatrical and right. uh, spectacle shows, mm -hmm. which people seem to like. I think people yeah. are moths. Yeah, they definitely are when it you comes know. to fire. Yeah. Um, so the new instrument I'm building is, uh, it's based off of this, it's almost like a hammer dulcimer that okay. I built about 25 years ago. And uh, there's a whole bunch, I'm building in new other parts of it that have springs and strings and whatever, because I've gotten lately into utilizing the inherent sounds of the instrument, but then mm -hmm. also using uh, more processing. Like I went through this stupid phase of, I can't use any processing. It has to just be what the thing is, which is kind of like taking an electric guitar and saying, we're not going to throw it through a distortion pedal. Right. Which is stupid. Or an amp. Or an amp. We're or just anything. Gonna, yeah, yeah, we're just going to play it, right? We're just going to mic it. And yeah. um, and so I've gotten really, uh, over the past couple of years, and especially since, since starting back up again with the show that I did for you, was... Um, what can I do with what I know how to use processing now? Mm -hmm. Like, because I, I mean, I, I know the studio so well, I know how to run gear. It's like, what can I do with live taking processing elements? And then now having that be part of the show to where I'm playing off of that as well in a way that I never did before, which is, it's new. It's refreshing. I really, yeah. I really dig that. So it's, it's uh, thinking on your feet yeah, and knowing your instrument well enough to yeah. adapt and change to what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with something like volatile, which breaks constantly. And I mean, yeah. just the heat of it itself, like detunes the strings, it blows out contact mics or, or right. transducers. And so, you're, you know, you're drumming away and you're totally rocking out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this thing I'm hitting doesn't make any sound anymore. Mm -hmm. Now what do I do? You know? And so right. you're constantly, you're so in the, you're so in the moment, you're so present, which is the, the amazing yeah. thing about it. Yeah. Have you done any recordings of Volatile? That's an issue. I mean, I assume that there's been 
uh, I mean, I know there's been video yeah. and all yeah. that, but like, have you ever like tried to capture that in a studio or anything yeah. like that? Yeah. See, that's the problem. And we, we were, I think the other day we were starting to like talk about this a little bit. We were bit. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, like volatile itself is does really doesn't sound that great. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, it has elements to it that are phenomenal, mm-hmm. but, um, what the the instrument was designed for a specific purpose and it was speak to be live in a way that produces a particular effect um in in performance both for me and for the audience so it's right. physical body of the artist physical object and the physical body of the of the um the audience and how those things interact and that it was designed for that um the recordings of it never sound that great and it's i mean i can i can isolate sections or moments of it or whatever mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't, like live, it's it's explosive and powerful and it blows you away. Mm-hmm. But then you get into a, uh, you know, a studio kind of recordings and it right. just, it just falls flat, completely flat. You know, it's, I mean, so there's like some bands are really, like one of the bands I brought some music from tonight is Acid Mother's Temple. Mm-hmm. They are so much a live band. I had a hard, the hardest time trying to find a track that just to play as a track from yeah. them. Because they're not really a studio band, right? They're they're a live band, yeah. And some some instruments, some bands are just they just go that way, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, well, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. I asked you the question: Do you consider yourself a musician or an artist? And correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe you said that you consider yourself an artist oh, above yeah. being a musician. Oh, yeah. I'm not a musician. <laughs> so all those statements make complete sense to me. Yeah. I mean, volatile is a, it's a, it's performance art. It's not, it's not a music performance. Right. Yeah. I would say even in the recordings that I do, like especially with Ohm as well, is a, um, I mean, it's, it's sound art. Yeah. But it's, it's abstract expression. It's non-representational sound. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, doing a, um like a Van Gogh or something, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's something where you're using, you're using colors and blobs to try to approximate right. something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's coming, it's not, yeah, I, I don't, I always wanted to be a musician, yeah. but I don't, but I don't think like one. That's exactly what Menchie said on this podcast. I think it was like almost word for word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that fascinates me growing up. I, it never occurred to me that the two things could be separate. Like the whole concept of like a sound artist never occurred to me until I got eh, maybe late high school and started getting exposed to things like Menchi and like the cold meat industry catalog, like mm-hmm. brighter death now and things like that. Um, it really opened my mind to the fact like, like it's sound art. It's not necessarily quote unquote music, but it's more of like a sound art. And that's, that still fascinates me to this day. And, but I don't think I've heard anybody say it like you did about how you're like, yeah, like I'm not really a musician. Like this is, this is who I am. And, uh, that's really interesting. Like it's, it's very rare to hear that for me. I, I think it just gets into the core of like the, like how you think about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I can play guitar, I can play drums, I can, you know, I, I'm, but I, but I, even if I'm playing something that's like, if I'm covering, you know, like a play, like a 
Pink Floyd song or something. Right. Or As I'm playing it, I'm, I don't feel like I'm playing, like I, my headspace is just coming from a different direction. Yeah. Do you think it's more about where you're coming from or is it more about intent? Do you think your intent uh, is different than your average musician? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, on one side of it, absolutely. I mean, I just have a different intent than I am looking at it. But I, but I do think that there's a, there's a way that we're wired in, like, I look at working with sound as photography. Yeah. Okay, so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I really started, by the way, we're not listening to music. We haven't yet. But... No. And, and it, okay. Because most of the things I brought are really, really long anyway. So we don't, we can, we're not going to get through all of them. Right. Um, so I started out in photography mm-hmm. and um, that was, well, I started out wanting to be a musician and things weren't clicking. Yeah. And then I got hooked on photography. So photography, you have a frame and it's all about how light is cascading through that frame. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I started working with sound, it was all about the frame of your ears and how you're hearing this and how sound cascades through that frame. Okay. Which the first track I'll play for you gets into the first time that I, that I understood this by this particular band. Um, I had never, it's a line that people have said to me a few times, which I was extremely appreciative of because you know, you made a connection. Um, This happened to me with this particular band, which is um, it's not that I haven't heard anything like that before. I didn't know it existed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> yeah. When I was a teenager playing death metal in Montana, I got that line often. Yep. What the fuck are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> what exactly. is this? Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, maybe we should launch into some music. We should. But we should. I feel like I'm a little thirsty. Oh, yeah. I need another beer, too. Okay. Uh-huh. We're, we're going to take a beer break. Oh, I had that last time when yeah. we were there. Yeah, yeah, punk. Okay, so punk something. Here, put these on for a second, and then because you sound good, uh-huh. and the music sounds good, but through the microphone, I'm getting this like it's it's almost like this kind of a slight echoey effect. Are you getting that? Does it sound, how do how am I sounding to you? Do I sound clear and precise and like I just want to make sure it's coming through here that you're getting the recording like it's everything's chill. What? It, it sounds good to me. What I'm hearing is your voice and here with like a slight right. delay. Okay, then that's cool. Because when you when you talk or the music's uh-huh. playing, it's totally clear. It should be fine. I'm just hearing like a slap back on myself. I don't think that's happening. Okay. I think it's in your head. Like literally. I think it's your head and the and the <laughs> headphones. Um, usually when that happens, it's... Oh, actually, you know what I could do? Sometimes this is yes, 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 yes. And sometimes it'll be like 
delay compensation. We'll do that. Yeah. But uh, oh yeah, that's I, a little bit better. Yeah. I I I just turned off all the compressors. Speaking of delay compensation, if you have you ever used a um, the uh, it's an L three ultra maximizer for yeah oh i have a i have a plug for that yeah i do too yeah and i usually have it parked on my my master bus oh you do yeah and um no don't (laughs) (laughs) you usually do it but don't do it yeah don't do it no i i used to do it until i found out that it was that's where all my um my uh, delay was coming from like all, all my uh my um oh latency latency was coming from yeah yeah um Usually when somebody complains about that, it's because of a compressor Mm -hmm. or delay compensation. Yeah. And so I just, I turn that all that shit off. So if you're a lot quieter now, that's why. It's waves. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quieter, but I'm, I'll turn myself up. Yeah. Because I've got you low here too. Oh, well you can trim. feeding through there. Yeah. Crank it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is such great podcast material. Oh, oh, okay. This sounds so much better. See everything. Is this I, better now? This is so much better. Okay. Everything, everything I said before is irrelevant. I only said it because I couldn't hear myself. Do you remember every word you said before? Because we could just redo it. That's true. We could. I actually a lot of the shit that I get. I mean, I tend to repeat myself, and so I try not to. I mean, I, you can say that again. <laughs> you do the same though. You get interviewed, and you're like, you yeah. have certain war stories or certain. Oh ways, yeah, you know, no, it's like, shit that just comes it's up like and certain. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, I got to get a picture of you doing this. Uh, Yeah, I spilled stuff on my microphone and my computer, my laptop. What'd you do that for? Because it's punk. Okay. It's punk. All right, so are you rolling? Uh, Yeah, are you going to play me something? I'm going to play you something. This is this is the Don't thing. Don't tell me what it is. Okay, I'm this... not going to know any of the songs you play me. By the way, oh, uh, actually, you will you'll know some of them. Really? Uh, I don't know. Well, I I brought a couple. So first of all, we'll just go right out there. Uh-huh. I know beyond Black Sabbath, I know nothing about metal. I know, but that's why I'm so interested about this because, okay. and we've we've touched on this a little bit, yeah. but not a lot, not like specific bands too much. And as you know, metal's my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, I once messaged you. When you were somewhere, I don't remember where you were, you were in Antarctica or some, something like that. And I messaged you and I was like, I'm going to play you metal that you love. I decided that's a bad idea. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but I do feel like there's a, I feel like there is a lot of metal that operates in the same way as experimental. Oh, absolutely. As ex- and um, there's, a, there's, a, they, there's a lot of lines that blur. That's why, like, yep. that's why shows at Azoth work, where it, it's like black metal one night and then noise the next night. There's crossover there. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But but, <laughs> but you're not going to like any metal that I play you. Oh, I don't know about that. I, but, well, we'll get to that later. Yeah. We'll but get I into think, metal I later. Think you're ma- I think your, your biggest hang-up is the vocals, right? Oh, absolutely. Completely. Yeah. Well, and, and this, is an, this is an interesting point. Like, when you... Like listen, I mean, for and for anybody of the five people that will listen to this podcast, I mean, maybe twelve because I said I had twelve fans, so maybe. Well, but you have bigger fans though. Like you're, this it'll is be massive. Thousands, right? yeah, thousands, only, only thousands. We're well, not people hundreds of thousands. People, maybe? people like my music, kind of. But right. They don't like listening to my voice. No. Well, see, it's the vocal no, thing I, again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should growl at exactly. I say. Exactly. Awesome. We need Spawn of Satan here. You know? That'd be cool. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I mean, it depends on the guests, but the, these episodes do fairly well. Usually okay. in the hundreds to low thousand downloads. 
per episode? So I would propose to anybody out there, uh-huh. but you, because you're sitting across the table from me. Um, what's the first thing that you hear in a song? The intro. <laughs> touche, sir. Touche. Uh, that's a great question. I think it kind of depends on the song and the style. Yeah. Uh, I lyrics are very secondary for me unless they're really great, unless they really speak to me. No pun intended. I don't really pay attention to lyrics. Uh, I have a hard time with a lot of vocals that aren't growled or screamed somehow because I've, I find the human voice very grating when it's actually sung, which sounds ridiculous, but you know, I mean, I've talked about this before. Like death metal is my baseline. Like that's, that's what I grew up with. Um, that and punk. And so screamy, growly, screechy, like to me, that's top 40. Uh, so I, I mean, the percussion is huge for me, which is, I mean, metal's awesome with percussion. Um, Melody, things like that are usually pretty secondary for me. So would you say then that the vocals in a way, it's like the reason you like the growly aspect of it is it becomes an instrument and it's not necessarily about definitely. lyrical content? Most definitely. Yep. Yep. Uh, when lyrics are great, I love them. There are some lyricists that I totally love, but it's I. It's very secondary for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very happy to be lost in the vocals just being another instrument. I even love it when vocals are kind of buried in the mix and it sounds like the band is bigger and more powerful than the vocals. And it sounds like the band is overpowering it. And it's somebody in the back just trying to like scream over the blasting guitars. Like I love that feel. Uh, But part of that's due to the style that I like. And part of it's due to the fact that a lot of lyrics are just, especially in metal are awful. A lot of lyrics across the board are awful. Yeah. And I don't believe that the the person singing them believes this believes what they're saying a lot of the time as well. Oh yeah. 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 That's a huge issue. I think. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's authenticity in anything and you know, you can, you can tell when something's authentic when it's not. Um, I, I'm the same. I like vocals to me are the absolute last thing I listen to in any music. Yeah. Me too. Unless I'm listening to something like Leonard, Leonard Cohen or Mm -hmm. Nick cave or somebody who, who presents vocals in a way that um, that is authentic and doesn't suck, and yeah. and that and that's kind of why you go there. You go right. there for the vocals. Well, and some music like Nick Cave is, yeah. is very vocal centric. Right, that's what I mean. It's not like a huge wall of instruments, right. you know. Um, Although Warren's trying, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, I hate, I hate to say this, but I mean, like Morrissey. I mean, his yeah. lyrics are fantastic. A little hard to listen to him these yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he's a fantastic lyricist. Uh, Mike Patton, again, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I, his lyrics are, are profound to me. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes it's great and it adds to it. And sometimes I just rather not know. Yeah. It's an, another really good one is, um, which I, I really don't like. So, my best friend, Paul, is um, a massive Mountain Goats fan. I don't know if you know the Mountain Goats. I know of them. Okay, so here's the deal. He keeps the same sort of deal. You got to, as the rush, you got to listen to the Mountain Goats. Mm-hmm. You got to listen to the Mountain Goats. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, dude, I don't, first of all, I don't, because the first thing Paul listens to is lyrics. And we talk about this a lot. He goes lyrics first. 
Like it's what the message is. Yeah. And then what gets built around that message. And he's a massive punk rocker. He's the guy that was doing the radio show that when I was doing Wave, he was doing punk. Okay. And, yeah. uh-huh. So um, he's always just been hugely into into lyrics. So right. he, he got me hooked on the podcast for podcasts. Yeah. Um, which I listened to a ton of them the last trip when I uh, was touring down the, down the, the coast mm-hmm. and had nothing to do because I was by myself. Um, and it's a podcast called... I only listen to the Mountain Goats podcast. And it's okay. basically two guys talking about music. But it's only exactly what we're doing. Well, what they do is they go through each one of his songs. Okay. So each each episode is um, a particular song of his and they'll deconstruct the song mm. and they'll talk about how it was That's cool. done. And, I mean, yeah. so it's it's I mean, I am a massive geek for the creative process. I don't care who, what? It, who it is. I had no yeah, idea. I know. I know. <laughs> I know like I mean, I, I, I read the bio of The Grateful Dead, and I mm-hmm. hate The Grateful Dead. I do, too. I mean, I'm from San Francisco, and I hate The Grateful Dead. Yeah. I hate Kiss as well. I Well, we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Kiss is like sweet potatoes. It's right. the worst thing in exactly. the world. Exactly. But I read Gene Simmons' book. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I love the creative process. Tape Op Magazine oh, yeah. is the best magazine yeah. in the universe. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Like, and those VH1 behind the musics, oh, I yeah. love those. Oh, and Rig Rundown. Oh, Rig my Rundown. God. Yeah. I've gotten sucked into Rig Rundown lately. That's yeah. all I, you know. And I love the documentaries. Like, I don't care what, what band it's mm-hmm. about. Like, yep. I'll, I'll watch it. Even artists I totally have no respect for at all. I love the. The drama with the, with the label. I love being able to compare my own experience yeah. to their experience. Like I'm a yep. sucker for that shit. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just watched a rig rundown yesterday on Guns and Roses. I love I love Guns and Roses. See, I <laughs> see. I never listened to Guns and Roses. Yeah. So I went on I went on YouTube to check them out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, but well, oh de- my God, they're boring. <laughs> it depends on what you're what you're listening to. Appetite for Destruction is one of the best rock records ever made. All right. All right. Anything past that? All right. But anyway, um, they're doing the rig rundown and they uh-huh. get, it's about 35 minutes in. Okay. And they talk to the the new guy who's the rhythm guitar player. Yeah, I don't, don't know. Get it. It's been around since 2002 or whatever. Okay. But he and the, and the guy hosting it are two of the biggest guitar geeks ever. That's great. And oh my God, I learned so much. I mean, yeah. it was such an amazing episode. So that's the kind of shit that I, that I get into is that mm-hmm. that sort of obsession over, over um, how things are, the nuts and bolts of how things are done. Yeah, the minutia yeah. Of, of influences or inspiration or, or chance operations right. or like this just happened to be, this was an accident in the studio and it turned into the coolest part of the song. Right, exactly. I love stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So, oh, so I, I believe gonna... you're going to play. I mean... <laughs> Okay, see if you know who this is. Sounds kind of familiar. Early 80s.
what this is. It sounded like it might be an intro, like a build-up to uh, like a like a slow dive song or My Bloody <laughs> Valentine or something like that. But I suspect it doesn't go beyond this. Very yeah, this much. is this is what this is. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Soviet France. Okay, I've never really explored that. Yep. So this is this is what opened the door to me when I was in college in the early '80s, mm-hmm. and um, it was the first time I understood that making sound didn't have to be normal musical structure. Yeah. Okay, that's great. It, I mean, in, and if and if you can't hear ohm or other stuff that I've done in yeah. this, I mean, it's like in some ways I'm just trying to I'm trying to do what they did, but better. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it's it, it kind of, it's. I've got the same blueprints for my yeah, work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's not a hundred percent homage. It's just that, like, they. It's so deeply ingrained, like what they did and the way uh-huh. they shifted my consciousness. Yep. That it's like a really good acid trip where mm-hmm. you just it's with you forever. Yeah. I could say the same thing about our, certain artists. Yeah. It's just like, like it's, it's well for me it was. I was trying not to make this about me, but uh, we're excuse me, sir. We're hitting. We're sitting here talking about music and the yes, creative we process. Are. We are. Oh, this is not about me. This the is creative about, process. Okay. Oh my god, this is uh, us talking about. For me, there's a few, but I feel like there's a few artists that shaped me as a music listener, and a few artists that shaped me as a musician and songwriter. And I use the term songwriter very loosely because the way I compose songs is very strange. But as a listener, it was Ramones and Carcass. As a musician and songwriter, it was Ramones and Mr. Bungle. And every, every record that I make myself doesn't mean Agaloc or Karata or like any joint effort, anything I do myself whether it be self spiller or scenarios of sixes or whatever i'm trying to recreate mr bungo's disco volante yep for me that is that's the holy grail that's the blueprint um i'm obviously not trying to make a record that sounds like that sure i'm trying to make something that compares to it in my mind in intent execution uh, the expansiveness of it, that's my goal. Every time I'm, I'm writing a record, I'm comparing it to Disco Volante, and I will, I will tweak and I will change parts to make it live up to that standard. Do you I've feel not like, even come close. Well, but do you feel like there's an aspect of that that's you trying to recapture the feeling that you had when you exactly. first heard it? Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine heard Mr. Bungle's Disco Volante a couple days before it came out. He got an advance of it. It's a long story. He was Lars Ulrich's personal assistant. He ended up getting Mr. Bungle's record before it came out, and he told me the whole time I listened to it, I felt like I was running to try to catch up to it. And so I was really excited by this, and kind of like what you're saying about this Soviet France is it did it opened me up. I, I, 20 minutes into that record, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know their intent. I can't process this. I don't know if I like this. I can't tell if I hate this. I was confused, aroused, 
sad, disappointed, amazed, <laughs> all these emotions all at once. And that record is 20, 20 years old. And still, I mean, I've heard it thousands, literally thousands of times. And still, every time I listen to it, I hear something different, I hear something new, and I still don't understand it. Yep. And I can't, there's moments that I know, like the back of my hand, and there's other moments that I'm like, I still don't know what's going to happen next. Right. Well, I mean, that's when art is great, is when right. it changes with you. Well, it yeah. stays the same, but as you change, you see different things, yeah. you hear different things. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that exactly what we do? Those is, um, or all we're trying to do is uh, elicit an uh, emotional response. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, many, many years ago, I, I put this, I know, I, I, re I only remembered this recently when a friend showed it to me. Many years ago, I, um, they had a tour flyer that said, uh, there's only two types of music and art. That's that which produces orgasm and that which does not. Yeah. But it's kind of it. Like yeah. it either it either clicks with you and turns you on and makes and shoots you through the stratosphere, yep. or it just doesn't hit and it doesn't yeah. do anything with you yeah. for you. And I found it's 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 so subjective. Yeah, yeah. You you can't really predict it. Um, for me, there's there are kind of tears though. Uh, there are certain things that I can listen to and be like, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is all right, and I can still enjoy it. And I can still tell you like, hey, I listened to this record and I liked it. But then there's this like upper echelon of records where I'm like, these are like the 10 to 20 records yeah. that are untouchable. Absolutely. These exemplify not only my taste, but the genre. And usually <clears throat> for me, those are the perversions. Those are the, the ones that define and defy the genre at once. Those are the ones that hit me the most. Right. Like the ones that are like... Uh, of course, I can't think of an example now. But, I mean, Mr. Bungle, they, they defied everything. Right, right. But still, like, those ones where, at the time, this is unspeakable. Like, what are you doing? And now, 10 years down the road, people are like, oh, that's, like, genre-defining. Yeah, yeah. At the time, it was genre-defining. Well, I love that. The, and the unfortunate side of that, as well, can be thing, bands like Unsis and Neubotten, yeah, who yeah. absolutely define something, but it stayed so locked in a particular time period. And yeah. even though that, you know, Blix had tried to take it elsewhere later yeah. on, it, I, there was a, there's a, a defining moment, and that moment is in the 80s, and, it's, and it hasn't escaped from that time period. You know, then there's other stuff that is defining right. moments that is timeless. Yeah. That you, you can't place it. It's, I mean, it just... Agreed. It still yeah. continues to carry through. But I yeah. wonder how much of that has to do with, because um, I would say the Beatles, to to a large degree, for a lot of people, still are very timeless. Oh, yeah. You can play Beatles uh -huh. to the kids kids these days, and it's still, the kids these days. And it's, <laughs> the and it's but it still yeah. resonates, you know? Yeah, for where, sure. Where Neubotten's not going to. But I would just, in throwing this out in terms mm -hmm. of this conversation, um, the Beatles influenced so many other artists that adopted their style and continued to carry on with what they were doing. Yes. Whereas somebody mm -hmm. like Neubotten, there was a small group of people, not necessarily, I mean, mutually, in, mutually influenced, like, you know, Test Department and, you know, right. and, um, SPK and stuff like in yeah. that, in that realm of that industrial of a particular time period. Yeah. But they were all kind of bringing something to the table. Right. And then it all dissipated and then went to the wax tracks kind of, oh, we're going to, you know, Nine Inch Nails, we're going to take mm -hmm. that, but then turn it into dance music or, you know, right. thump it out. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I don't see, and this this is getting back to an aspect to the performances recently that I've been doing with Volatile, where mm -hmm. 
um, like if you ask somebody at, at like a Nine Inch Nails show if yeah. they know who Neubotten is, I mean, maybe they would, maybe not, you know. Um, Neubotten's kind of on the more popular end of of a lot of that. I mean, exactly. People know Neubotten over SPK for sure. Okay, so but but. In, even in the like the like say a, a 20, 20, 25 year old going to a Nine Inch Nails show now, no, would they know who that was? No, probably not. Probably not. In the same light as like when I when I was like I mean I was really I mean, touring the world with Volatile twenty mm -hmm. years ago, you know, all over. Yeah. But most of the people, besides playing festivals in Europe where you're playing to grandmas and uh, which was awesome by the way, the <laughs> one of my favorite comments ever, this, she had to be seventy. And she walked up to me and, and grabs me and she said, "You remind me of Mufti, which Mufti. is Mufti is one is one of the main guys from Neubotten. Like he's one of the main percussionists from Neubotten." Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that guy. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, "Oh my God!" You know, FMI tight. So yeah. anyway, um, so I was like, so Europe's a little different, but yeah. um, in general, like when I was playing shows, I was playing for a group of people who who they understood the genre. That, yeah. I mean, they had all the same references that I had. Right. They knew they knew who all these people were, right? So, um, what I'm finding now, and it's and a little bit less so at the show, the Solstice show that we did for uh, um, the Litha Cascadia mm -hmm. show, yeah, because that's it's a little more hip crowd that kind of mm -hmm. has a deeper understanding of, of the industrial world, right? Yes, um, but still, yours, you're still on the outside of that, exactly. But even more so, I played the Dundee Lodge show, yeah, and. Um, I was the only one there that was anything off the rails from, I mean, it was mo a lot of psychedelic stuff. Great festival. I mean, really, really fun. Yeah. Um, great organizers. Um, the setting was phenomenal. Um, the other bands, it was, I mean, it was a lot of psychedelic bands, a lot right. of folky, folky stuff. And um, I've never played a show where I had more people come up and just be like wide-eyed, Bambi going, what the fuck yeah. did I just what see? Did you just yeah, because yeah. there was no reference points, right? You know, and so but I, I love that. That's well, like it's, it's so fun. It's so nice to like. I feel like a lot of noise artists experience that all the time, and I try to get on like bigger shows if I can, because it's really fun to open up like a larger show at high high watermark or something, right? And where it's like... Are we both back that Yeah, down? we both. That's not good. You can't I'm both sorry. back down. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we learn anything from Tom Petty? God. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, there's been a few shows that I've, I've opened for larger, more conventional bands. And it's really funny to see people's reactions because some people are like, oh, like, this is really fascinating. This is kind of like listening to... A horror soundtrack or something right. and other people are just like what what are the guitars you know right, right. yeah have you fun. know i mean have you played with a lot of people doing mod modular synthesis lately uh no okay no because because i have i mean a few yeah and it's the scene has been is in such a mod life crisis did and you say mod life mod life crisis, crisis yeah and I mean, I love mod synthesis. You oh know, yeah. And like Thomas Demuzio is a fucking brilliant, yeah. brilliant artist. He's uh -huh. got a new album that's out right now. Go buy it. Um, but um, the the thing is, is it, it it used to even in the noise world, it used to be a lot of physical performances. A lot of, even if it was just stomp boxes, people were mm -hmm. they were physically doing something. Then yeah. it went to laptop computers, and right. then it went to modular synthesis. Yeah. So it's it's all within the same kind of realm of. When I come in and I blast fireballs, it's 
what the fuck is that? You right. know, what I mean? you know what I mean? It's like yeah. there's a separation there. So, in, just in the dynamics, even within the in that realm, um, you're looking at a separation of um, of content that, like, so many people are, are are wrapped into gear. Yeah, and their music is only produced because of the particular effects or rod right. that they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where the sound comes from. Yeah, it doesn't come from. Okay, I'm I'm producing this. How can I get this sound to happen? So, like, I would say in music, you know, your the music doesn't come from your bass in the sense. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's times where you're like, oh, that's cool. I'll run something around that. Sure. But in general, it's like you're no, I'm I'm doing this. How can I get this? Isn't in my head. I right. want this sound to happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's been flipped in the noise world, where it's it's all about the equipment now. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, yeah, I can totally see that. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean, I have been seeing some uh, modular synth guys lately here and there, and um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. And I, I'm, I've I mean, never I'm thought not, about that. I'm not putting it down. I mean, no, like, no. I'm just saying there's this, like, like not one's not better than the other. Right. It's it's how how sound and how intent how and how intent is generated. Right. Is the intent generated? from um, the equipment and that's sort of like leading you through what you're doing or is the intent generated from you have a particular thing you're trying to express and you're just scrambling to try to find a way to express that you know and one's not better than the other and this is not a qualitative thing here it's like Quantitative, qualitative. I don't know yeah. how many beers are there. Okay, so by the way, this is this is now shifted away from. from I was going to say this is this not is not Soviet, Soviet France. France. This is a band. I'm sure everybody's heard way too much, or at least heard too much of of. And uh, some people love them, some people hate this them. Sounds familiar, but I can't place it. This, I, I could guess. Take a guess. I want. There's a certain band I want to say that I have some stories about, but I don't think it's them. It sounds wrong, but almost. No, it's not who I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, come on, you got to tell me now. You can you can edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, my rule is is that if music's playing, I can't edit because it would ruin the flow of the music. Uh, okay, well I'm gonna say what I was gonna guess, but I know it's wrong. I wanted to say low. No, but that's a good guess, though. Because it, it, I mean, it's okay. But yeah. yeah, no, because this this particular song, I can totally see where you're coming from with love. Yeah. Um, this is Sigurós. Okay, Sigurós. And yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody has. And so I didn't bring any Pink Floyd. I didn't. Bring, you didn't. I didn't. Oh my I did, God. Well, okay. I do have one track in my play, but um, <laughs> but it's an outtake. But I mean, this is something that people probably haven't heard. So. Um, this particular track was never released on any in anywhere except mm-hmm. this um, bootleg from this live show they did at the Opera Plaza in, okay. in, uh, in Iceland. And what I love about this song, um, and the reason I brought it, um, it's it's so antithetical to who I am, but what I would desire to be was is someone with patience. Yeah, you have to have patience to listen to this. Well, it's not just that. You have to have patience to be able to play, play like it. this. Yeah, I know it's more hard. so. Yeah, I used to be well. <clears throat> before I never heard the term shoegaze. Yeah, um, I was in a band called Climb to Salem uh, in Minneapolis. We did a couple recordings, and I'm really proud of them. And I thought it was really great. But we called it slowcore, mm-hmm. 
and uh, yeah, like playing bass for stuff like this, it, it can be challenging. Yeah. And uh, I was used to playing death metal, grindcore, so I'm like, I'm trying to like do runs in there in between the the beats. <laughs> yep. Like having the patience to sit there and like lock in with that. Now I have no problem doing that stuff. I'm older and lazy. But uh, yes, when I was like in my early 20s playing stuff like that, really difficult. Yep. My problem is, um, okay, so well, I'll ask you first. Yeah. In Winnie the Pooh, which character are you? <laughs> okay, well, uh, first I'm... I'm not all that familiar with Winnie the Pooh. <gasps> I know, I know, I know. Uh, this is my childhood. Yeah, my childhood was Conan the Barbarian and Terminator. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, you don't have to go there if you don't know. That's well, yeah. I feel like my initial response was Eeyore, but I'm so not Eeyore. You're not Eeyore. I'm not Eeyore at all. I'm, not I'm always positive. I'm always happy. Yep. Um, I'm not poo. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm poo. So, really? <laughs> you are such a poo bear. Holy shit! I don't really know what that means, though. So it's I, it's somebody who like and from I mean we've only, we have not known each other a, t- a ton of time, but every fucking time around, you're incredibly positive. Uh-huh. You look at the bright side of things. You're, I guess that's poo. You yeah. do, yeah. yeah. You're you're always trying to like take whatever whatever angle and and just be like hey this is fucking awesome let's yeah. let's have let's go eat honey <laughs> if that's poo then i'm definitely poo absolutely yeah absolutely um i do i don't like honey though well, usually all right I, I, well it's all sugar you like beer i like beer i like sugar in certain things um yeah i i mean i guess i'm a poo when my girls were little <laughs> we used to joke about how it was poo and his little friend piss <laughs> do you know why piglet didn't have any friends no. He was always playing with Pooh. Yeah, that, I mean, that would be a deal breaker for okay, me. So there you go. Uh, Why did you ask about Winnie the Pooh? That's a really strange... I felt like we were talking about industrial and all of a sudden you're like, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, you know, it all, it all meshes. I mean, it all meshes, so, for sure. but So here's the thing. is like we're, we're also talking about that particular track uh, uh-huh. that we were listening to as Sigur Rós. Sigur Rós, yeah. So slow, so much patience to yeah. it. And in performances... I mean, I can do it in studio to some degree, but in the performances, I I start launching and I just I launch and I go and I've got a certain BPM and then I ramp that BPM up. Right. Um, and it's not that I want it to necessarily be that way. There's times where I go in and I'm telling myself, slow down, yeah. slow down, slow down. It, but it's adrenaline, man. It's it's adrenaline and and um, the. One of the reasons that I know that I can be effective as a performer mm-hmm. is there's no pretense at all. Like what you get, there's no filter. Like I'm not, right. I'm not going up there to be a rock star. I'm not going up there to be, to pretend anything. Mm-hmm. You're getting a hundred percent of just whatever's oozing out of me at yeah. that moment. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I only say it unfortunately because I'm trying to slow the fuck down. Unfortunately, that means that I tend to, to hit things, you know, much faster than. And if you start off fast, you don't yeah. really have anywhere to go. Right. You know, so, um, so anyway, the reason that I said that about the you know, Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. is that um, I'm Tigger. And I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Know, okay. Of course. Everybody and knows Tigger. Yeah. Bouncing all over the place, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's a very normal tendency during a performance, yeah. uh, whether it's me doing my solo noise stuff or Aglock or whatever. 
you know, uh, Agalock was a full band with like actual records that you know, yeah, yeah. like thing like songs we had to play a certain way. not had to, but was songs we played a certain way. We always played them a good, you know, 10, 15 BPM faster yeah. than than they were on the record. Isn't it? It's not a bad thing. No, I don't, I don't want to reproduce the record live. That's bullshit. But yeah, you get that adrenaline going. You know, you and it last uh, so last time I played solo, it wasn't actually solo. It was with I did a collab with Ron from Kodot, and we played at Azoth, and we played with a bunch of uh, I'm not really sure the term that should be used, like electronic. It's like dance artists, but they're not they're not DJs. They're actually producing the music live with different pads and Ableton and you know stuff like that. And I told Ryan, like, we should really try to do something, like, that kind of fits with this and really challenge ourselves and, like, fit within this paradigm. And the whole time I just felt, I just wanted to fucking just make, like, abrasive, like, Merzbound noise the whole time. I'm just like, I just want to, I just want to turn everything on and turn right, everything right. up. But I was like, patience, patience. But yeah, it's yeah. like, it's midnight, you know? And, uh... This week, Enrique invited me to do the sleep concert, which I'm really excited about. Right. But the intent... I know. The intent is the audience brings sleeping bags and pillows, and they sleep from 10 until 6 a.m., and the artists play with no gaps. And you meld into the next artist, and the artist before you melds into your set. And you are the intent is to play something that they can dream to. And yeah. It's a I love stuff like that. Oh, I do it, as well. It, it it helps me spread my wings. It, yeah, yeah. it stretches my muscles. Yeah. It it challenges me. I'm all about the challenge. I'm all about the chances. I'm all about. So I'm very excited about that. But it may surprise you. I've never played music live intentionally for people to sleep to. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. excited. But that's yeah. but but what I'm saying is like that's my that's my gut too. Like yeah. I, I played in Oakland uh, two years ago, and I accidentally had the volume cranked on. Actually, it's a pedal sitting right there. It's an oscillator that my friend Ash Spongen made for me. I accidentally had the volume cranked on it way more than I thought I did. So out of nowhere in the middle of my set, it was like an ear-piercing squeal. <laughs> I was mortified. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't mean to do that. Afterwards, everybody commented on it. Dude, that was so punk. How you just fucking killed us all in the middle of your set? <laughs> like that was everybody's favorite yeah, I know, part. I know. So, well, that's the thing is, you know, the audience has no clue what you're doing. No, yeah. and they shouldn't. Yeah. No, and I mean, and I don't mean to allude that that I don't have um, dynamics in what I do. And oh, I you patience. have lots of dynamics yeah, and patience. So. I mean, <laughs> Ohm is nothing but patience. <laughs> exactly. <right>? Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's more of like you know you look at the uh, you look at the, your failure, not the failings, but just like what you aspire to, yeah. you know, and I aspire to be able to, to do something slow <laughs> that works. No, I don't know. I don't, yeah. know. I don't I mean, just, you well, know, but I think when you said failings, that's yeah. a perfect word. Yeah. Um, for so many years in my mind as a musician slash artist, whatever, a failure was a failure. It's a bad thing. Now I embrace it. Oh yeah, absolutely. A failure is yeah. awesome. I've had so many shows in the last two yeah. years that I would consider a failure, but I learned from them. Or yeah, yeah, it was a different experience, and I, I, 
I really I've grown to appreciate. Well, that. And I, I mean, I also have to put the caveat in there that what I'm talking about is like playing volatile, which is an instrument that's on fire, right? And is a particular performance, and I'm and yeah. I'm playing a particular piece, which is bombastic as fuck. Yeah. So yeah, when I'm playing with Ohm, it's a lot of patience. One of the best times I've ever had playing live was with uh, Doss and Nina from Big City Orchestra on their uh, radio. Um, they do a radio broadcast every week. And uh, Ethan and I went over, and the four of us played. And there were moments where um, I would go for maybe like five minutes and I wouldn't play anything because the sound was so amazing. There's nothing yeah. I could do to contribute. But that's so important. Exactly. Yeah. And we all just were floating sound in. It was two 45-minute sets, um, yeah. live broadcast absolute bliss you know so i mean that's awesome it, it was really fun so okay so we have something else here yeah do you know so this this, one? this sounds familiar i want to say swans yeah it's definitely swans okay. yeah 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 i want to say okay so here's here's my relationship with swans um early no late 90s I saw their quote-unquote farewell tour. Mm -hmm. That's what this is from, yeah. Okay. So this is Soundtracks for the Blind. Um, soundtracks for the Dead. That's your record. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I have to be a smartass. Actually, uh, it is my record, yeah. <laughs> no, so, well, soundtracks, soundtracks for the Blind were... Um, so, okay, so this song originally was on Soundtracks for the Blind, which uh -huh. was a studio album. Right. Then they did Swans Are Dead, which was oh, their right. live album. Yeah. Okay. So then I did Soundtracks for the Dead, which was the Cement album. Was there really a reference? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know. That's awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. Obviously, I know the Swans. Um, right. It's really interesting because most people I talk to know my work so well that they know, like, oh, yeah, like, Agalox the Mantle is like the swans, like nothing but swans, the entire record. And it's awesome because you've never heard it. Because <laughs> usually people would be like, yeah. oh, swans, yeah. like, you know, blah. Actually, I, I did listen to that part of that album. I know. You it was so amazing until, until the vocals, vocals came, came in. in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, like we talked about before, vocals aren't. You know, with minor exceptions of, like I said, like Nick Cave and whatever, uh -huh. I don't listen to vocals. I don't care yeah. about vocals. I don't listen to lyrics. Even, even stuff that um, has lyrics that I absolutely love the songs. Yeah, it could be twenty years later, and I'm like, oh, that's what they're saying. Oh, yeah, all the time, all the time. I, I have even my favorite bands. I have this like idea of what they're saying, and every now and then, for some reason, I'll open up like a lyric sheet or something and be like, oh that's what that is like i had no fucking idea exactly yeah yeah i just yeah are, are there any lyricists that you do like well you, you mentioned nick cave yeah definitely nick cave um um leonard cohen's a great poet yeah um like there's um i would say uh, uh simon, simon bonnie from uh um crime in the city solution by the way crime in the city solution is the most underrated band in existence. I don't think I've ever heard of them. I thought you were going to say Simon Laban from Duran no, Duran. fuck no. That's Inga's band. I know, but I, I love you, Inga, but, you know, that's your band. I love Duran Duran. Yeah. Well, I have a friend who follows them around on tour. Yeah. Like, I multiple shows. I noticed she was wearing a jacket. Yes, she is. And she's adorable. And I made her a purse with a 70, uh, yeah, a Duran Duran I saw that, that seven on inches Facebook. on it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, 
as far as like 80s bands go in, in that style yeah. like you can't I mean there's a top dude when MTV first came out and oh, like, yeah. they were all over it it's like yeah I like Duran Duran too yeah. I love their yeah. first few records yeah. I have them all on vinyl but there was a certain point where like I, I tried to listen to the last one because many people were like oh man it's great I just I nah. couldn't do the last yeah. No, for me, it's a nostalgia trip in that in that particular thing, you know. Seven and the Ragged Tiger, yeah. though. I mean, those, for me, here's a bold statement. I would say an album like Seven and the Ragged Tiger stands up to, like, the police synchronicity. See, I don't, I don't know that one. You don't know? Okay. No. I know, I know, like, the Rio, the album with Rio yeah. and all that. Uh-huh. That's the only album I know from okay. them, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on the police? I like the. I mean, I like the police at the time. Um, I don't necessarily listen to them now. I yeah. think they were a phenomenal bands. Some of the greatest musicians. I mean, what they put together in that time period yeah. was out of the out of this world. Oh yeah. Um, it probably. I mean, it might carry through now to a yeah. large degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I. They're they're one of those bands that was just they're timeless. You know, oh, they're, yeah, they were going to sure. be they were going to be massive no matter when they hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like them, but they weren't they weren't over the top for me in yeah. terms of. So here, I'll play a um, a crime in the city solution song. Do it. And this one, um, and if any, I mean, this is the song that most people would know because it was from the wing, in, in Wings of Desire. So, crime in the city solution has um, um, people in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> really, you don't say. Wow. Um, and Hang on a second, strange. as my brain comes back online. Um, well, uh, Alexander Hawk from uh, Hawke from uh, Einstein Neubotten uh-huh. was playing in it, and um, uh, Roland S. Howard, who was in Birthday Party with Nick okay. Cave, mm-hmm. is the guitarist in it. Um, they, so I was not. I, I liked the song when I first heard it, and um, you know when I first saw it on the movie. So in the in in Wings of Desire, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a phenomenal film. No. It's a German film. Uh, Vim Vendors. Okay. Um, it, it, black and white. It's about um, an, you know angels kind of. Okay. In yeah. town. Ama- amazing movie. So good. But anyway, Nick Cave is in there. Um, in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, um, have a, they do a song, but then also uh, Crime in the City Solution also do this. Okay. Do this song in there, and um, there's just such swagger to it, and it's yeah. so. It, it so this is a this is Nora, my wife's Nora. Um, mm-hmm. This is her favorite band. Okay. And. I kind of liked a couple songs, but we tend to listen to them a lot. And I've I've learned to like, holy shit, this these guys, the the song structure, the, especially the lyrical structure, mm-hmm. not necessarily what he's saying, but the way he's weaving it, the way the okay. sound is produced, yeah, um, is just not really like anybody else. Right. Like I don't, I still don't know another band that really sounds like these guys, and they were so overlooked, you know. So anyway, I I don't think I've ever once heard of them. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let this play for a second and get a beer. Sounds good. <laughs>
So remind me the name of this band? Crime and the City Solution. Okay. Um, and it's got guys from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or okay. Birthday Party before. Yeah. Neubotten. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Three. I mean, okay. it's... Anyway. So... I dig it. They... Uh, yeah, they're... Okay. I, I like them. Everyone else should, too. <laughs> so... Yes. My next track. Yeah, do it. This is something that I'm pretty sure you're going to know okay. right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I brought this specifically for two reasons. Okay. One is for Daniel. I love Daniel. Yes. Because Daniel keeps mentioning the fact that he has <clears throat> never heard this band. Mentioning. Mentioning over and over again. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also, this particular, one of the guys in this band has a track on a compilation CD that I'm on as well. From okay. Crucial Blast. Oh. Which you were just talking about. You were on a compilation CD from Crucial Blast. I was. Okay. And the guy who put it together, the one you can't get a hold of. Yeah. Um, fucked up and swapped on the credits, swapped the two tracks between Ooh. me and this other guy. That's awful. 
And so... What was the name of the compilation? Um, I was going to bring it to you, and I spaced up. Oh, I totally know this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally know this. So this was credited to you? No, 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 no. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. I wish this was credited to me. I can't place it, but oh, I, I totally on. know this. You know this. is from the comp but this is not the song you're accredited that's no, not from the comp okay. it's, this is the band that the okay do you want to know who it is no okay the band i'm this close to getting it right the band that this is yeah a guy in this band yeah did a noise track oh okay a noise compilation on crucial blast okay that guy is really close friends with daniel Minchie. Daniel Minchie keeps mentioning... Oh, it's Isis. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. So Daniel has mentioned how he doesn't know the band. He's right. never listened yes. to the band, yep. whatever. So yep. I brought this particularly for you, Daniel. This is Isis. Yeah. Um, and so Aaron did this track on this compilation, and I did a track which I really liked a lot. It was this low-frequency... Um, I was working with a Sherman filter bank uh-huh. and the speakers would just pulse and you would just, yeah. I mean, you play the track and you thought your speakers are going to blow up. Right. I mean, and had this really amazing feeling to it. It just kind of, it's like, you know, when you listen at home and you feel like you're in a club because right. it's like the sound oh, is yeah. just uh-huh. like doing something to you. So I really dug this track Yeah. and it got put on this comp and on the back cover, um, the guy who put the comp out um, accidentally flip flip the tracks and I had so many people go god that didn't sound like you man I really liked your track and I'm like oh that wasn't my track you know and so and it's I mean it went all over on the webs because I mean he was good at promotion so I mean it went out everywhere right so Aaron and I both are getting credited for the wrong tracks all over the place on this I mean and this was I mean 15 years ago or whatever so I mean it's been a while but well, don't worry. He re- he released my record and went bankrupt. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Menchie's told me many times. Like, yeah. Oh, like Aaron's one of my greatest friends, and and, <laughs> and I don't know conspirators, but I've never heard ISIS before. And a couple times I'm like, really? Like, yeah, is that, I know. Can that be true? But he loves Sumac. Yeah, I know. That's funny. I just I had just listened to the episode with him, and he oh, said really? and he yeah. said that, and I'm like. 
I need to bring some lenses. Yeah, just awesome. in case Daniel listens to this one. So, so the thing you, know. you, you couldn't tell um, from that podcast is that was in my old house with a much crappier setup. And he was sitting on my bed with a microphone in his hand with Arrow sitting next to him. <laughs> and he was rocking back and forth the entire time in a very menchy way. It was pretty great. Yeah. 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 Isis. Of course I know this. Yeah. Yeah. Which record is this from? Um, Celestial. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the name of the song. Yeah, that's the name of the album too. Yeah, Celestial album. Yeah. yeah. That's great. This is this is one of the few forays into recent, more recent, metal-ish kind of things. Yeah. Um, there's another one though. This has screaming vocals though. Yeah. It it does. Um, I would say the Explain one. Explain yourself. Okay, I would say the one reason why. I kind of got through this one is because the music is so fucking good. So good. And okay. especially that at the start right. just blows my mind. My least favorite part of it is yeah. this is the vocals. Okay. But the second part of why I can kind of get through this track with it is that they're not over the top. Like they're not they're not mixed hot. Right. They're mm-hmm. down in the mix it's kind a of little like what bit. I was saying yeah. earlier. Yeah. Don't get mad at me. I'll never get mad at you. Are you familiar with neurosis? You know, I, I am, and to a small degree. And um, mainly because um, um, Scott and what's it, uh, the two main guys, Scott and... Scott and Steve. Steve, yeah. yeah. Um, are massive, massive Savage Republic fans. They used that to play sense. Savage Republic before every single show. That makes sense. So when Savage Republic did the reunion shows, and because I co-own a record label with Ethan from right. Savage Republic, and um, and was the guy mixing their that tour for them, I was doing front of house. Um, I got to know them at least a little bit mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. But I've never. I mean, super nice guys, like some of the nicest guys I've ever yeah. met in the scene. But um, but I haven't really listened a lot to their music. So they're the precursor to all this type exactly. of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting to me. Um, I'm still trying to not push metal music on you, but there's, there's so much metal that is like this, where I feel like, I feel like you could appreciate certain things if if you can, if you can get past the vocals on this, yeah, yeah, I think there's this le- this level of vocals is is doable. It's the it's the full on spawn of Satan cookie monster thing that just it just I, okay. So you know what the problem is? What's the problem? I hate to say this, and please <laughs> no, do it. Don't do get it. offended. No, I'm, <laughs> I start laughing. Yeah, you know, like it it, it becomes so, so hilarious to me that it knocks me out of of the drive and that like because the music has this drive and this intensity and this mm-hmm. beauty, beauty to it, mm-hmm. and then the vocalist starts and I start laughing and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, seriously, that's how I feel about stop it. <laughs> certain other bands that people adore. Yeah, yeah. Um, since we're just we're just laying it out there. Yeah. You know, bands like Iron Maiden and King yeah. Diamond. I yeah. just, I find the vocals laughable. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's all just personal preference. For but, sure. But if you can get past vocals like this, I feel like there's a whole world. I feel like maybe what you're really honing in on, on the, the vocals that you don't like are more like the death metal type of stuff. Oh, for sure. 
For sure. Um, but I, I mean, I, but I like Burzum. Well, right, because it's more atmospheric. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you can, if you can listen to this and Burzum. Oh there's no! A, there's yeah, a whole world out there I'm, for I'm, you. Absolutely, and that's and okay, and that's one of the most amazing things is that it. Um, um, I was huge into Krautrock. Yeah. You know, like Faust can. Yeah. Um, you know, Tangerine Dream. Um, mm -hmm. And then, in uh, Harmonium, and and then I read so I read Julian Cope's Krautrock book, Krautrock Sampler. Just if you haven't read it, mm -mm. you can actually get um, there's a PDF online you can read because okay. it's out of print. So yeah. pull down the PDF. It goes through all the different bands. Amon Duel. I mean, you know, um, yeah. Papa Vool. I mean, it's amazing, yeah. amazing um, sampler and understanding into that into that realm of, of German music in the late '60s, early '70s that was trying not to be blues-driven uh -huh. um, American, Europe, you know, uh, English kind right. of thing, doing their own thing. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a great resource. So he also put out a book um, called The Jap Rock Sampler, which goes... The, the Jap Rock? Jap Rock Sampler, which goes into this psychedelic scene of Japanese rock right. that was really aping what was going on in... Um, oh, hang on a second. This is going to end in a second here. Where do I go next? Well, we're talking about... We're talking I, about... I want to play something next. Oh, you, yeah, you go play something. Yeah. You, you go ahead. I'm not sure why Trump is always trying to fight this band. Oh, fuck him. He's always like... Oh, my God. No, wait. That's me. That is you. I was going to say, you're playing the same song I was about to play for you? Oh, my God. Twinsies. No. Oh, twinsies. No. We look a lot alike, but we're not that alike. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you were going to say something. Oh, I don't know. I was like, I got sidetracked. You got sidetracked by ISIS. Sort of yeah. You just defeated ISIS. Oh, well, no. <laughs> I, did, I did defeat ISIS. Well, one of the other songs, one of the other tracks I had somewhere in here um, is Red Sparrows. Yeah. Love Red Sparrows. And yeah. I like them more because there's no vocals. Yeah. And I mean, Red Sparrows were absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. What, a, yeah. what an incredible band. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Agaloc played with them. Red Sparrows opened for us in Portland many, many years ago, um, right after their the first record came mm -hmm. out and yeah that, that record's fucking great the second one was good too but I, i'm a huge fan of the first one and mostly because the bass is so forward yeah it's yeah. it's it's so focused well on the, the bass. same bass player was in marriages as well and oh i didn't know that yeah, yeah. um i've never yeah. checked them out uh they had one song that kind of blew me away the rest of it was sort yeah. of eh, you know um um uh, what's her name the the woman that was the guitarist in ISIS that or not ISIS um Red Sparrows, um, uh, Emma 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 Ray Emma Emma something. Yeah, I don't God, know. brain. You know, do you know what do you know what drinking beer does to you, children? Don't drink beer; it makes Hold your on. brain turn off. Red Sparrows. Red Sparrows. Um, Emma 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 Ruth Rungle. Emma Ruth Rungle. Wait. Are you serious? Yeah, she's the guitarist in Red Sparrows, and she's the guitarist in Marriages, and now she does her own thing. I didn't know yes. that that was... Yes. Okay. So Emma Ruth Rungle. I believe she's you. She's awesome. I'm still... Although her 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 rig rundown was kind of boring. 
I'm sorry. It, she, she's a great guitarist, but wow. she didn't really have great things to say about her rig. I'm shocked, but you're right. Yeah, Emma Ruth Rundle. I had no idea. Yep. I've never heard Emma Ruth Rundle, but I just, I know that she's kind of hot shit right now. Yep. Wow. Very cool. Okay. Um, I'm going to play something. This is going to be something a little different. I am going to play something. And... Okay, so here's the story. <laughs> In my opinion, this is one of the best active death metal bands right now. And I would say that most people who are fans of death metal would agree with that. They have a new record that just came out. I accidentally ordered two copies. I'm not so sure. if I like it, <laughs> no, I may be taking one home with me. No, so um, they're also really good friends of mine. So today we talked about it, and we're gonna do a giveaway. So if anybody, I'm gonna play this band. If the first person that emails hate.pod.music@gmail.com and guesses the band, they get the record. So, if but, you, but aren't we eventually going to say what it is? So they just listen to the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is. I'll tell you what it is. All right, right, right. <laughs> um, but the other funny thing is, is that they're really good friends of mine, and I love this band. And this record's been out for a few weeks, and I have two copies. I still have not listened to this record yet. So this will be the very first time I've ever heard this. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you know what it is, email. I think that's the, the email address. Hey.pod.music at gmail.com. And tell me what it is and your address, and I'll send it to you. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Bring it on. I have no idea what this is like. <laughs> Here we go. Virgin Vinyl. <laughs> Okay, that's all you get. If you know what that is, hey.pod.music at gmail.com. First person to get it gets my extra record. I ordered, I pre ordered this record months ago, never got a confirmation, and forgot that I bought it. So then I bought it again. Got, got one copy, and then, oh, here's another one. So, yeah, there you go. I've, I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
now I have Discogs app on my phone and I've entered all my vinyl in. So if I'm at a record store and I'm like, oh, I should buy this, I better make sure I don't have it. It saved my butt a couple times. So um, I, I recently, at the beginning of December, ordered things for the first time off Discogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife was out of town. Oh, you told me about that. I decided this, yeah. that uh, I have this. So the backstory, the quick backstory is we finally kicked the kids out of the house and we don't have children at home. <laughs> They're anymore. only five. Come on, I know, man. I know. They can fend for themselves. They're little de- demons. Um, and so. Um, my present to myself was to buy a, a decently nice stereo system. Yeah, that's on my N- list. Too. Nice turntable, tube amp, some good speakers. Because we got the living room back because it's no longer where they play video games and, right. and leave their shit everywhere. So um, all the albums that I had, nor like some of them, but they're all mine and yeah. stuff that, you know. So I, I went on discogs to find because i mean most of the stuff she likes doesn't exist anymore you know you have to find used copies and there's there's something that happens when you have um a bank account and wine and discogs yeah uh-huh that causes that you to times. order a lot of things and sometimes more than one of the same um, yeah, album uh-huh. yeah that you didn't realize oh no i did already just yeah. order that one <laughs> so yeah um and one of them the the one that i that i ordered doubled ordered was um uh red from king crimson oh well. and i gotta say that that um i have been a massive prog fan in my life i'm very proud to say that except for all of the years when i was into punk and noise and industrial and right. world music that i hated prog but now but um king crimson like they never hit before for me and um and one of the reasons was they didn't rock in the same way that say yes or can mm-hmm. or you know a rush yeah. um, did they were um they were way too good yeah <laughs> you know and too kind of math rock in a, in a in a way yeah. i mean robert fripp is like beyond um but after all these years of being in the noise scene and and um and really listening to sound from a very different direction like there is no other band that's making more sense. That creaking is probably my jacket. There's no, no other. No, okay. There's no other. There's no other band that's um that's kind of making more sense right now. But that's that's such an that's oh that's where we were going before with the whole kraut rock jap rock thing. Is mm-hmm. that is this and you were saying about um, bands that are popping up that you're like oh I never listened to them right. And oh you know we have this access to music now that we never had before. Yeah, that's incredible. And you're just like devouring things that you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway. That's great. Um, yeah, I, every now and then I'll be at a record store and I'll be like, oh, I, I got to get this. And before I put everything into Discogs, I was coming home and I'd be like, oh crap, this is the third time I've bought Deicide's first record. <laughs> like, which one of my friends wants this? Yep. Yeah, I, I had well over a thousand albums, like vinyl. Yeah. When I moved up, moved up here. Um, and I dumped 90% of it, 99% of it, because, um, when you live in a 5,000 square foot warehouse and, um, you move to a 1500 square foot building, you know, house with three other people and you have a lot of audio equipment and a lot of shop equipment, you don't have any place to put all those albums. Right. And some of them are like bands like Head East and I I mean, like 
eighties crock rock, right. you know, corporate rock bullshit that yeah. you know, I'm in my teens and I'm just and I worked at a record store, so right. you know, everything was cost plus ten. So it's just like, oh buy albums, you know. Right. Um, stuff I would never listen to again. But I so I kept all the precious stuff and I unloaded everything else. But my um, my database on my computer is about two terabytes of music. Yeah. All at AI of quality. Yeah. So yeah. I recognize this too. Yeah. Of course I can't place it. <laughs> you will eventually. Maybe. Um, I've seen these guys live a bunch of times and um, every time until oh, it's Godspeed. The, Godspeed, yeah. yeah. Every time until the last show um, was just absolutely brilliant. Just brilliant. And the very last show Did Menchie ruin it? Huh? Did Menchie ruin it? <laughs> no, no, that show the yeah, that one was that was great. I didn't I missed that one. Uh, that, no, that was really, really good. And he did a great set that, that night. That was really yeah. fun. I went both nights on that tour. That was a Wonder Ballroom. And, yeah. uh, and they, that was incredible. What, what was the, the bummer one? Um, it was at the Revolution Hall. And yeah, it was um, last fall, I think. Like September, maybe. Hall. Why can't I play a switch one that is? Revolution? That's... It's the old uh, high school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I great like, sound system. I love that really, venue. Yeah, great yeah, venue. Yeah. I saw Shellac there and just destroyed. Swans was one of the best shows I've seen since Swans there as yeah. well. Um, but, but Godspeed, they didn't have a new album out, and I think they got tired of playing all the hugely bombastic stuff that just makes me cream my pants. Yeah. And they, it's like they played B-sides through yeah. the entire set. And nothing ever came anywhere close to having that elevated moment of orgasm. Right. And I mean, I love this band. Oh, me too. Yeah. But it was one of the most lackluster, disappointing shows I've yeah. ever seen in my life. I've seen them, I want to say three times. Um, the first time was amazing, but they played way too long. Mm -hmm. They were like edging up to like three hours. And it was just too, too much. much. Yeah, especially like this style stylistically, mm -hmm. it's pretty monochromatic. Yeah, uh huh. You know, I mean, there are bands that can do three hours. Oh yeah, N you know, certain bands I would love to see play three right. hours. And I love Godspeed, but it is—it's a formula. Yeah, it's a formula, and it's very—it's like uh, mono is the same. You yep. know, very much the same thing. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I love why. You know, I love mono. I love Mogwai, but right. it's all, it's all the same formula. Right. And actually, Godspeed ruined all the other bands for me really yeah and really it's the first album f sharp infinity yeah. is the one it that was my first one that really introduced me into like this whole post-rock post-rock yeah. thing and still if i don't care who it is it's mogwai or red sparrows or whoever i'm comparing it to f sharp infinity because right. to me that is the blueprint that's that's the one that i and Godspeed, like, I mean, I like all the Godspeed records, but I'm still comparing them to that first one. Yeah. Although, um, uh, New Zero Canada, yeah. the EP, is fucking amazing. Yep. And they did, they had something a few years back that I liked a lot, too. Um, I've kind of fallen off with them, because every time I listen to it, I'm like, eh, I just rather listen to F-Sharp Infinity. Yeah. Although, I mean, well, this one, I'm, this one is um, Rockets Fall on Rockets Fall. Um, from Yankee uh, Info and uh, yeah, um, which 
the reason I play, I mean, this is my favorite song from them uh -huh. because I, because I think the song structure, start to finish, is like I love, I love epic. My favorite song yeah. that's ever been recorded is um, is Pink Floyd's Echoes, mm -hmm. and especially the Live at Pompeii version, but only because David Gilmour's guitar in that and the the, the, the just the tonality of it, yeah. that particular recording is mm -hmm. just out of this world. But most of this, most of the songs I really love tend to be 15 to 20 minutes long yep. and have just this this grandiose, massive epic quality yeah. to them. And I'm one, and then I, I only thought of this just at this moment because I've never referenced it. But I wonder if that falls back to how much my dad was playing classical music when I was a kid. Yeah, it could be because so much of that with Wagner and Beethoven, you know, whatever, and yeah. Mozart, with like was was such a this grandiose kind of epic thing. Yeah. Um, it's fostered by your love of Prague. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I mean, because, you know, we were listening to um, Hemispheres when, you know, he first came in. I mean, that's by far my favorite uh, um, album by yeah. Rush, you know, and um, um, Yes is Close to the Edge. Mm -hmm. Really probably isn't my top five favorite albums that's ever been made because start to finish, that album is just so incredible. But, you know, one side of it is one song <laughs> right yeah and that's in that so there's something there's something that clicks with me for that style yeah. of these big you know huge um statements statements yeah, yeah. that's what i was gonna say yeah. yeah yeah uh godspeed i can't remember exactly what year it was but i want to say 99 around there uh was huge for me it was another not quite Mr. Bungle level, but just yep. like uh, really opened me up to what's possible with a standard like rock format. Right. And, you know, it's, it's like every now and then you feel like, oh, it's drums, it's bass, it's guitars, like, yeah, yawn, seen this, done this, heard this a million times. And then F Sharp Infinity came out. It's like, oh, but you're approaching the instruments in a totally different way than I expected you would. Right. And your song structures, I mean, my own, that's my really my only critique with the whole post-rock thing is that it's, it's just an ebb and flow yeah. all the time, constantly. Yep. Very predictable in that way. Yep. Um, but I have no constructive criticism on how they could change that. You know, I, I don't, it's, it's the, it's the, for, it's the formula of that genre. Right. And, the the what the, my biggest criticism is if you have three guitarists, two bass players, and two drummers and a uh, violinist on stage, are you really are you exceeding the sonic potential of that? And I mean, I love yeah. Godspeed, but I don't think that they're pushing the parameters no. of what they're capable of doing with that group well, of people. I agree. I mean, because you know, it just makes me think like if I had the amount of equipment and musicians at my disposal, it'd be painful, you know? I mean, it would be ginormous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential there when you have that many people and that, right. like when you have like two drummers, two bass players, I mean, that's, it's a lot of potential. The thing that really pushes them over top live, though, is is the projection as well. Yeah, where they have yeah. they have someone that so it's this and I've because I've seen them a bunch of times and I've sat in different locations or been like right up at the front of the stage or back behind the projectionist. Mm -hmm. 
um, I saw him at the Rosalind one time, and I was sitting up in the uh, up in the upper level. Yeah. Um, right behind the projectionist looking down. So I, I was basically watching the projectionist through yeah, the set. I, I did that once too. And so he has six to eight um, 16 millimeter projectors, all with film loops, um, actual film, film loops. Mm-hmm. And he's running those through the projectors. And then he's using pieces of glass and putting them in front of the lenses to distort. Usually um, two, like the, the big screen is split into two quadrants. So he's running two different images at the same time. But um, one of my favorite moments is when he slows the film down and where he stops on a frame and the film melts. Yeah. And actually melts. Yeah, I saw that too. And this is something that is, um, it's it's where the visuals stop being this thing that's sort of added to what's going on and becomes an integral part of what's going on. He's performing along with the band. Exactly. And that's amazing. I saw the same thing at Crystal Ballroom here. And... It, like literally the same thing and he was stopping the film and the film was like slowly melting and he could obviously see it projected and he was performing in real time with yep. the band and yeah those type of things were it's another one of those things where it's like it altered my perception of performance it altered my perception of art and yep. I mean those things are invaluable I love those things yep. yeah yeah I love Godspeed many many great memories about godspeed but again it's for me it's all about f sharp infinity <laughs> the samples on that record yeah, yeah. you know it's just yeah so what do you what do you think about the samples of them like the the crazy guys talking and all that i mean i could, love it i feel like it fits a time and a place right. in my life um and uh you know at the time i got into the record i wasn't familiar with Vancouver BC at all and then Agaloc played in East Hastings mm-hmm. which is rated the worst neighborhood in North America and they have the song East Hastings and there's right. a lot of samples of like crazy like methed out people and right. it's, now I get a little bit of a deeper understanding of oh, it for sure but uh, can you hear those songs over and over again because see, well my problem with it is that that, like the first couple listens, yeah, I find it interesting, yeah, and then it becomes this rant that I'm just yeah. like, well, get to the music, you know? yeah. I mean, I do have to admit that I feel the same way. Um, as an entire statement, I love those being in there. Absolutely. As a listening experience, I tend to find passages with extended samples or spoken word or something like that sometimes unless it's like a spoken word unless the entire statement is spoken word right sometimes i find those passages to be tiresome so sometimes i'll not be as into that because i i prefer the instruments over the samples i think to me it's similar to and i agree but i think it's similar to um comedy albums is that like once you know the joke yeah. Um, it's hard to hear it fresh again. Yeah. And when you listen to music, like I can, I mean, we were talking about this earlier with, um, oh, what was the album that you hear over and over again? Uh, oh, Mr. Bungle. Yeah. Uh-huh. And every time you hear it, you're hearing something new. It's taking mm-hmm. you a new place. You're in a different place. So it's, it's become this new thing. Yeah. Um, there's so much music that every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Oh. Yeah. And those passages that is somebody ranting, 
um, doesn't do that for me. It's like, I've heard this. I know exactly where this is going. I know, this, I mean, I know it word for word. I know what's going to be. Well, because you can, you can memorize exactly what they're exactly. saying. Exactly. And literally the, exactly. And you could say that to some degree, well, maybe with age and with experience, you might come to that text slightly in a different way and have right. a different understanding sure. of it. But not to the same degree in music. I mean, I, I think music, music, I mean, at least for me, takes me on mm -hmm. such a deeper journey. Oh yeah. Then and and we and we were going back to like we don't listen to lyrics in the first place. So. Yeah. But but still, like the rantings of like some homeless man that they just happened to record. Right. I mean, it's pretty arbitrary to right. begin with. I have a hard time that any of that is like planned out, which is fine. I'm a, I'm I'm all about like some random samples, but it, there is then you get away from intent you yeah. know with the piece which i'm also totally okay with <laughs> but as a listener sometimes that yeah, becomes yeah. problematic is it for me there's a huge disconnect between the artist and the listener which again i'm totally okay with no i think we're but, being way too kind here i think we should say when things suck they suck no <laughs> well but that's that's also true but i'm very comfortable with the fact that okay not to talk about mr bungle all night but the first time I saw them live, I left that show being 50% elated and 50% pissed off. They played two songs over the course of an hour and a half. They opened up the show by playing one song three times in a row. <laughs> They're being provocative. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I want from them. That's what I expect right. from them. Right. Most of the audience did not appreciate that. <laughs> and I kind of didn't too, right. in a way. Right. But I also did. And then Patton sat on the front of the stage, and they all were like dead quiet. And Patton sat there for like 10 minutes, just looking down into the crowd. And people were like, come on, play. I didn't pay for this shit. And they're heckling him, yelling at him. And he just starts crying. And it was so unsettling. And then he said, are you guys having a good time? Cause I'm not, and then he just started crying, and the whole band. I mean, it's, this is like a, a good like seven, eight piece band, and they're all just like dead still, dead quiet, not doing a damn thing, and the audience was getting like pissed and aggravated. But it was so amazing, right, right. so powerful. Nice. And then they're like, okay, I guess we're gonna play something, and he pulled out a boombox and he just turned on the radio, and it just happened to be a Whitney Houston song. And he started jamming with this Whitney Houston song. And half of me was like, this is the best thing ever. And half of me is like, fucking A, play that song that I love by you right, guys. Right, right, right. By the end of the show, they closed with one song off of Disco Volante and left the stage. Yeah. And I felt elated and violated all at the same time. Yeah. And it's, it's informed me as a listener and a musician ever since. Yeah. And I, but I love that. I love, I love the provoking the audience. I also love being provoked. Like right. I love going to performance and being like, this isn't about me. This is about you. This, I want you to do what you want to do. And I want to be here. Right. And if that means playing one song three times in a row, I'm going to grin and bear it because this is your stage. And yeah, I, well, that's what fascinates me. But it gets back to the statement and the art of it that we were talking yeah. about earlier uh -huh. in that. What's the intent of what you're doing? 
for them, the intent wasn't, we're going to come out and play the hits. No. The intent was, um, and maybe, maybe provoking to some degree, but say, Hey, we're going to do, we're going to do something that is going to cause you to perhaps alter your perception of the, what it is to go to a show. It's like, like the residents. Yeah, totally. And that's what it did. Yeah. I mean, and it's literally, that is the most important show I've ever seen because it, it wasn't purely entertainment. It, it taught me things that I carry to this day. Yep. And it's vastly more important to me anyway. It's funny though, because I look at music and performance way different than a lot of people. I mean, it was like a year or so ago, my wife and I were at a, uh, at a show at Wonder Ballroom and it was a Talking Heads cover band. And I love the Talking Heads, but it was a Talking Heads cover band and they nailed it. But like halfway through, like some dude came up to me. I had no idea who he was. And he like punched me in the shoulder. and He's like, dude, come on, have fun. And I turned to Aaron and I was like, it never occurred to me that this is about having fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. 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 Cover bands or not cover bands, tribute bands. I, I, I have a really hard time with tribute bands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, these guys are great, but I, I, I know, but it's, there's a, there's a disingenuous aspect to it for me. Yeah. That's a, um, it's fake. I think it's not disingenuous cause they believe it. And, oh yeah. And I mean, I have, I play with somebody who does it, who's done a bunch of cover bands and he loves it. He has a blast with it. I would never tell him that's a shitty thing to do. No, no. Me personally, I find it to be, um, a, it's just fake. Yeah. It's fake in a way that is, um, it's like you're, 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 it's, it's a, I don't know. I don't even know how to say this. It's like, you're pretending to be something that you're not. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. Never mind. It just, it's it's just really, well, and it rubs me the wrong way. I don't like tribute bands. The thing I was talking to my wife about was. I was like, these guys are great musicians. And there there was probably eight of them on stage. They had backup singers. Like the the lead guitarist was a shredder. He had this really awesome, like custom Les Paul. Like they were all really good. And I turned to Aaron and I was like, why don't they just write their own songs? And Aaron said, well, they're just having fun. And I was just like, it, it yeah. just, it, it, I just can't compute. Yep. Just having fun. Just I don't having know. fun. Well, I mean, but then that's and that's and then having fun's awesome. There's I, no reason not to have fun. I have fun with every musical endeavor I do, but it's secondary to me. Yeah, it's yeah, you're right. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. It's like I have something I need to try to figure out. Right. You're like I'm trying to I'm exploring a realm that I don't understand and I'm yeah. trying to figure it out. That's and it. if I can figure it out, um, and if somebody else likes this, that's fucking awesome. If they don't, well, I can't say I don't care because I do, I do care if people yeah, like stuff, but of course, but at the same time, it's like, um, it's, it's, it's gotta be real. Yeah. All right. So I'm not sure what to play, but I do have, I have this band from, um, from Germany that, um, is that I saw years ago in San Francisco, um, 
and I'll just play a little chunk of them because okay. they, I, I really like them and they never win anywhere. No one has, has any clue who they are, but they're, they're very much going back to, um, like a head, the heavy rock of, um, like Zeppelin and okay. you know, Hendrix and Black Sabbath. I mean, that's kind of their basis and stuff, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, and you, I know you don't, won't, won't know them. Um, they're called a Samsara Blues Experiment. Yeah, don't know them. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows them. I know John Spencer Blues Explosion. Nobody <laughs> knows them. So, but it will play a little chunk of them. But yeah. they, I, like, I think, I don't know. I, I, um, I saw them like 10 years ago when they were in okay. San Francisco, and yeah. I kind of liked them, you know. But.
Okay, I forgot who this was already. Samsara Blues Experiment. John Spencer Blues Explosion. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's a that's a great band from Germany. Um, they just yeah, the only one. The only <laughs> yeah. There's only one <laughs> one good band from Germany. Well, I, I like a lot of German bands actually. Yeah, these guys and I I, just, I dig them. I mean, they're kind of they got that they're a newer band doing kind of the heavy rock of you know or seven nineteen seventy. Yeah, of. yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. To drastically change change directions. No, I'm gonna play one now. Oh, okay, you I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna go. step in. Go step in. Uh, I'm going to talk about a band. Or I'm gonna talk about a band. I'm gonna play a band. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Wait. Oh, mine's not quite as resonant. <laughs> that was cool. resonating more off the off because you're getting the tape the. Yeah. Okay. These these <sighs> little uh, what do you call these? Uh, Beers? No. <laughs> no. The uh, the coasters. Coasters. The coasters. <laughs> these were sent to me by a listener of the podcast. Oh, sweet. Yeah. He um, he makes them out of tile samples oh, at Home Depot or something. Yeah. I'm using the Nirvana one. Thank yeah, you so there's much. There's a Kraftwerk sir. one. Kraftwerk there. Yeah. I'm using the Ramones one. That well, one. Of course you that are. That's mine. yours. Yep, yeah. That's mine. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to play you one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands that I keep talking about tonight. And every time I mention them, you haven't let on if you are familiar with them whatsoever. Mr. Bungle? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have no idea if you know this band at all. Okay. Well, do you want me to tell you now or, or after? I'm going to hit play. Hit play. And, and then tell and me. Then we'll... Actually, we got to hear this bass intro. So... <laughs> Mr. Mungle story. I have I have two. Two. All right. Um, I'll save the better one for last because it's shorter okay. <laughs> and more impactful. Yeah. Um, I had a warehouse in San Francisco called Splunge. Uh-huh. We had a lot of people that lived there. Um, had eight bedrooms and recording studio. And one of them was Gabe Mulford, um, amazing guy, um, good friend. And he was a massive Mr. Bungle fan. Okay. So much so that he would not shut the fuck up about how much of a massive Mr. Bungle yeah, fan that's he was. Yeah, kind of I am too. Um, and the funny thing about it is he talked about them all the time, but he never played them. I mean, like in the warehouse, really? like he yeah. never cranked it up and said, check this out. Let's, you know, and, and, yeah. and so I really have barely, barely heard Mr. Bungle. Like really? little bits okay. and pieces here and there. Um, just have kind of been around but not yeah not really exposed yeah. no and and um there's a stylistically i think there's a thing that happens when you first hear when you hear something even like this clip you either go down the rabbit hole and it sucks you in and you go i want more of this mm-hmm. or you go huh that's interesting and 
maybe this is going to connect somehow. Right. And that's more of where they go for me is that um, the disjointed aspect of it doesn't connect as deeply mm-hmm. as as flow. Like yeah, a, you know. Um, but for a lot of close friends I have that are massive fans, I know how amazing they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure that people say it about a, a lot of bands, yeah. but of course, you know, this does not signify all their work. Well, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Of course. Their, their latest record, which is 20 years old now, um, heavily Beach Boys influenced, very catchy, but right. very, very complicated and sinister, but in a very like, uh, in a unsuspecting way. It's, sure. it's not, it's not very obtuse. It's very, very subtle. Right. Um, but yeah, but this record for me is, it's the be all end all. Yeah. Yeah. So my second Mr. Bungle thing, uh-huh. I have the exact same birthday as Mike Patton. January 27th, 1964. Exactly the same day. I knew the day wasn't positive of the year. Wow. Yeah. We also share that birthday with a few other luminaries. Okay. Lay it on me. Mozart. Okay. That's pretty good company. Lewis Carroll. Mm-hmm. Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. Nice. Um, there's a couple others, but oh, uh, Bridget Fonda. Okay. <laughs> now there are a couple others that I'm blanking on right now, but so uh, my wife's birthday is January 17th, and my birthday is January 29th. Ah. So you're two days older than me. I am two days. You're just such a child. I am child. So who's on your birthday? Who, you, who else? Uh, who do you share with? Uh, I want to say Oprah. I think Oprah <laughs> might be on my birthday. Opera? Uh, you have opera, opera on your yes. operas on your birthday. <laughs> opera was invented on your birthday, January 29th, nineteen seventy-five. <laughs> uh, Oprah. Oh, uh, Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. <laughs> this is actually, actually not part of the song. On Spotify or on the CD, it's part of the song. This is actually a hidden track uh, on the vinyl, but they mixed it in with the. It's yeah. This is actually I could go on about this for hours, but this is a this is a track that they did like after hours as a surprise for Mike Patton, mm-hmm. and then Patton found out about it, and he was like, "Oh well, I'm gonna add to this song." So the next time they try to do a surprise on me, they're gonna like notice I've added to this song, and then Trevor found out, and he's like, "Well, I'm gonna add some crazy vocals to this," and it turned out to be like this practical j- joke on each other, right. like back and forth, and then. By the time like it was done, it's like okay, like we'll just have it as a hidden track on the record. So, yeah. For a while, when um, when CDs were actually relevant, which was gosh, a, while ago. a very brief moment in history, yeah. 
Um, I was actually working in a record store when CDs first came out, and we had the guys from Philips and, and Sony and all that to come yeah. in to explain to us how to sell a CD yeah. and how to um, explain to everybody that they'd never skip. Right. That they were the most perfect medium ever, and they uh -huh. sounded better than you know a live performance and on and on and on. It's just a whole bunch of bullshit. Um, I thought they sounded like shit from day one. Um, it took me probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years before I bought a CD player because yeah. I was, I hated the sound, but that wasn't necessarily the nature of the sound of the CD. It was the, um, the way they were mixed at that time. Yeah. They weren't they, like, they didn't understand that, that you're mix, you don't mix for vinyl and then put it on a CD. Right. Yeah. It's a different medium. So, um, um. I don't remember why I was talking about that. <laughs> it made me. It made me remember when I was, when CDs first became a thing. I was in fifth grade, and there was a show called, like a sitcom called Valerie with Valerie Bertinelli. And the main premise of one of these shows was about the teenage boy getting a CD player. And my parents were like, oh, don't you want a CD player? I'm like, I don't even really know what that is. I'm like, oh, it's like the new thing. Don't you want a CD player? They basically talked me into it. Wow. Then they bought it for me. And uh, I got like this like $300 CD player that was like, I don't know, it was like three foot long. <laughs> A foot tall, like this giant beast, you know. Right. And uh, I had no idea what CDs were. I was all about cassettes and like a little bit of vinyl. And I bought, um, I got a Charlie Daniels CD in the long box. I got an Aussie CD in the long box, and I got a Striper CD in the long box. I did not know Striper or Charlie Daniels. But I knew Ozzy very well, so yeah. I was really excited about Ozzy. Uh, and it was like this weird new technology. And I remember them selling it to me, and they were like, like literally bending the CD in their hands in front of me. And they're like, "You can bend it, and you can scratch it. It doesn't matter." And blah blah. And but it was so exciting. But it was so funny because my parents like basically just talked me into it. Right, right. Yeah. So I was like the first person in my. I was in sixth grade, yeah. and. Like the only one that had a CD player, and people would come over and they wanted to see it and they wanted to play it, but I was such a loner. I didn't really like my friends, and I didn't really like people on my stuff, and so I told them, like, we can listen to one song and then we have to let it cool off. <laughs> so we listen to one song and be like, now we have to let it cool off. Nobody can touch it or talk about it. Just let it sit for a while, and then they would get bored and leave, and then right. I'd sit and listen to it all night. Right, right, yeah. I got my first CD player when Soviet France issued a CD-only release. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you. I have to buy a CD player now so I can play your album. Yeah. Which, good friend of mine, Jerry Blue, um, I gave him the first Ohm album, and he didn't have a turntable. And he's really close friends with Michael Girard from Swans, yeah. who gave him a piece of vinyl, and you know, a vinyl album. And um, and a couple other friends that gave him some records. And, yeah. And he's like, ah, not going to buy a turntable. Now, a thousand albums in, and he's yeah. fucking broke because of it, you know. 
Well, it's like, you know, yeah. steal a man's wallet, he's poor for a day. Teach him to buy vinyl, he's poor for the yeah. rest of his life. Well, yeah. it was not that long ago, three or four years ago, Aaron said, it's your birthday today, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know, I'm like, let's go out, have a beer somewhere, I'm like, whatever. And she's like, I, f I feel like you need a record player. And I was like, no, like, I... I I had <laughs> Honey, we have bills to pay. Yeah. <laughs> At one point in time I had close to ten thousand CDs. Right. And I sold all of them, paid off all my student loans from selling off my CDs. I ripped them all too. Yeah. But then of course I had a hard drive crash, so whatever. But that was before streaming and you know yeah. a lot of that stuff is everywhere now. But I was like, I don't know, like, do I really want to do that? And she's like, it'd be fun. I'm like, and then I just started thinking about it more and more. And so we got a record player. And my first record was the first Ramones record. Like, that was my, yeah. that was my plan. Of course. I want to hook it up, listen to the first Ramones record. That, and it was glorious. Like, seriously, like, chills, tears, glorious. And, yeah, it's now it's like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to recollect everything that I had before on vinyl and like. See, I'm not and, though. Like, for me, it's um, vinyl is a specific thing for me now, and I mean, I hate, I even hate saying vinyl. It's fucking records. Records are a thing. It is a you know, yeah, and now but now it it's vinyl versus whatever. So in my studio is, um, uh, you know, I've got like you do. Um, flat response speakers, yeah. very dead space, mm -hmm. you know, for mixing, mastering, all the rest of it, right? And, but that's where I hear most of my stuff and it's usually off off my computer. I've got a couple terabytes of music. Yeah. When I go into the living room, it's a dialed environment for like tainted sound. <laughs> yeah. I and I still don't taint my sound. Right. And when I, and I, like, I don't have an, I, I used to have a, bang, a really old uh, Bang & Olufsen turntable that was an on-off, you yeah. know, kind of like all mechanical. I remember when that died. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it was sad. But I got to say, what I have now is I have a turntable. I lift the stylus on. Yeah. When it ends, I lift it off. Yeah. And I have to get up every single time that happens. Be yeah. But what I want is this physical environment. My my uh, amplifier is a tube amp. There's no remote control to it. Right. If I want to change the volume, I stand up and walk over and yeah. change it. Yeah. And so there's there's a physicality to like I've I've designed that environment to have this this level of um, physical involvement. Yeah. That's all about. A, like a, a, a piece of you know a, a um, like a diamond on a vinyl substance right. creating sound through this you know this um, tube system right you know I mean like like the whole thing is physical everything mm -hmm. about it is physical and it has to be that way so the only things I want on a record that I'm going to put on are things that are that fit that environment like I don't. I don't want that yeah. environment to be everything I have. I want it to be specific within that. But okay, so <laughs> I, I've got into uh, arguments with many friends about this exact topic. Okay, so I have a record that was originally released on CD, 
that I gave you, the self spoiler record. Yeah. I gave it to you last week or whatever. And I haven't listened to it it's, yet, but I'm and sorry. That's totally but, fine. I, but I will soon. Yes. That's totally I've fine. been busy. And it is it is conceived, born of, executed by ones and zeros. It is digital yep. AF all over the place. It got repressed on vinyl because that's how people listen to music sure. these days. Um, I have certain friends that won't be mentioned right now that think that's silly. It, it's a dig, it was created digitally. Why would you release it on vinyl? For me, it's more about it kind of plays into what you're saying about like uh, the intent of like turning up the volume or having to get up to do it, like something intentional instead of like passively listening. Right. But that can be true for anything, sure. for any record. Yeah, but there there are certain things that that absolutely fit um, that format. Oh, and, of course. And, th- and things of that course. and things that but, don't. You know, and it's not that they can't be played there. Like, I mean, I, I mean, most of the stuff that I've done um, with Ohm really does not fit on vinyl. Like, it really shouldn't be on vinyl. Even the first album that was on vinyl really mm-hmm. shouldn't be on vinyl. But why is that? Because it interrupts the the be- flow when you have to turn it over. Because it's 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 such a deep yes part of the what part of it is that. Yeah. But it's also um, it's about the. A, the deep focus of listening to the sounds that are happening and when you hear surface noise and you hear anything that's an artifact that's not intended to be there it's something that's distracting you from what's actually there so right. it's kind of like you know like I mentioned Van Gogh or it's like going to see Van Gogh and you're looking at a Xerox reproduction or you know something that's got that's or if that's, there's like glass over it right with a glare with the glare yeah exactly yeah. a piece of yeah. glass with glare over it where you're sort of seeing it but yeah. but there's artifacts there that yeah. are not intended to be there and to me like a, so much stuff that's happening in um, especially the the sound art and in, in world mm-hmm. more so um there there's um vinyl is not the best place for it now part of that has to do with the the sonic qualities of the of the sound Punk rock sounds phenomenal on volume. Yeah, I mean volume. <laughs> yes, yes. It does. If you turn the volume up, punk it is sounds awesome. great <laughs> on vinyl. Yes, um, um, metal sounds great. I yeah. mean, like there's stuff that that really sounds good there because it's got balls to it mm-hmm. that's really pushing what's going on, and there's a warmth and a, an amazingness to, to what's happening there. But I think there's a lot of material that's being made that is that that doesn't fit that format. That's not meant to be in that format. Hmm. Yeah, I. That's hard for me to accept. I f- what, what make okay? So, part of its intent, like yeah. what what is the artist intending? Right. And when you're listening to it, what are you getting from that experience? And so, if you're listening to through a good sound system, mm-hmm. a digital reproduction that is, I mean, because look. What are you recording? Are you you're on Pro Tools twenty four ninety six? No, this is direct to twelve inch. Whatever, tape. but you're no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Twelve inch tape. Twelve inch tape. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, dude! <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
for the wow. win. <laughs> wow. Okay. okay. So obviously I meant two inch tape. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you, you're recording twenty four ninety six on this. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you? What? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, not always, but yes. But now, in general, yes. when you're tracking, yeah, you're recording twenty four bit ninety six kilohertz. Yeah. You're taking that. And if you put it on vinyl, mm -hmm. you're reducing that overall sound quality to something significantly less. Right. Now, I'm not saying that, that a, a piece of plastic that you're playing on a turntable is worse because of that. I'm just saying that in general, when we, when we mix and we master what we're doing, it is at such a higher fidelity rate than the medium that we're playing it back oh, on. Oh, definitely. 100%. Okay. No matter what it is. No matter what it is, unless yeah. you're playing it back at 2496. Well, 24-bit, yes. 96. 96 is... It can drop to 44.1 and you're fine. Because, I mean, the, the, the difference there is almost nothing. Right. But, like, 24 to 16 is huge. Yeah. 16 to 8, you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's when you start with... But that's when you get into MP3s. Right. So I won't buy anything online that is an MP3. I've never bought anything on Apple. I never will because no. it's, it's it's the bit rate is so phenomenally stupid yeah. that you hear the artifacts constantly yeah. in the music you're listening to, which is why Bandcamp, kids, is the best place for yeah. you to go buy music. That's why every, every, every musician should have a, have a Bandcamp. Exactly. Because you, you directly get the money and it's at 24 bit, you know, so 24 makes a difference. 96, yeah. when you're, when you're, when you're, um, Mixing and mastering makes a difference when you dump it down to 44.1. You know, like that's, it's acceptable. Yeah. When you put it on a piece of vinyl, that changes everything. It becomes a different thing. So, but that's the, why mastering for vinyl exists. Exactly. But mastering for vinyl exists if people know what they're doing mm -hmm. and they have time to do it. And the problem is, is that back in the you know the the the, the glory days of vinyl, yeah. you know, 60s, 70s. Um, there were people who really knew what the fuck they were doing yeah and they had time to do it and they had money to do it what's happening now and especially when the first Gary album came out and it's an awesome album you should actually buy it but it sounds like shit yeah. to me because compared to to the um, to the the digital version that we initially did we went through five different test pressings that all sounded like crap yeah. three different re remasterings of it through the present that the you know the various plants we were using right because we couldn't get them to actually get the sound to be of the quality level we needed it to be and most of the albums you're getting these days the pressing plants are running 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah they have such a massive backlog they are slamming that shit out mm -hmm. they don't care what it sounds like there's no artistry and i mean if you master like actual mastering is when you cut it to vinyl like there's the whole like we talk about mastering albums that's not really right. mastering no, it's, it's pre-mastering pre -mastering. yeah okay mastering albums when you cut it to vinyl right and there are people who are amazing at what they do with that and they are artists yeah that is that is less than one percent of the albums that are being made these days right no i i, I totally agree yeah. so most of the albums that are being made are cut quickly mm -hmm. they sound like shit, and they and they don't come close to representing what was on the original recordings that were done in the studio yeah, whether they were tape or whether they were 2496 mm -hmm. yeah agreed so so you're just gonna buy a whole bunch of new albums that suck on vinyl no. just so you can have them no 
However, <laughs> I feel like. Oh, by the way, who was that? That was I have no idea. That was um, uh, Chebby Saba. He was a initially a DJ out of San Francisco. Okay. Um, traveled a bunch mm-hmm. to India mm-hmm. and recorded various artists, mm-hmm. and then brought them back into these mixes of of all these different. Um, um, like actually getting it wasn't just like samples like he was okay. recording different yeah. people and putting them together and uh, he died a few years ago um, a phenomenal guy, I mean a phenomenal artist and uh, he actually DJ'd my little brother's wedding oh wow which was That's one of the cool. best times I've ever fucking had but anyway awesome. um, so Chebby Saba it was it was this I'm only playing this because it was a huge time period where I went through this um, kind of world world beat mm-hmm. kind, of, kind yeah. of realm you know yeah, I like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't think I know this. Wow, that sounds blown out. It's totally blown out. It's one of the reasons I love it. I have no idea what this is. So the the band is called Mainliner. Okay. Um, it's uh, Kaobata Matoko, who is the guitarist for Asa Mother's Temple. Okay. It's mm-hmm. an early band, one of his early bands. Yeah. Um, they're on tour now, which is why I was like, oh my God, they're on tour. I got to bring a spring song. So hopefully they'll play the States, but they're uh, touring Japan right now. Um, one of the things I loved about this when I, the first time I heard it, which was... I don't know, 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Um, was at uh, a venue called Seven Hertz, which is where I used to, um, uh, I used to run a nonprofit sound art organization called 23.5 Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And we did most of our shows at Seven Hertz, which was this warehouse space in San Francisco. And we had a big sound system and whatever. And uh, one day we're setting up for a show and Scott Arford, who is the guy who runs Seven Hertz, Seven Hertz, incredible sound artist. Yeah, I love Scott. Yeah. Um, He's like, oh, you got to hear this. And he turned this on full volume, like ear bleed volume. And I swear they recorded it out of a boom box. I mean, it it is just like the shittiest sound recording ever. But in a way, that's kind of what makes the recording, you know, like it's, yeah, Yeah. it's, and, um, I mean, it's just before Acid Mother's Temple even started, you know? Right, so. Yeah. So, anyway, I've always dug this song. I just thought it had such great power to it. And, yeah. You know, and just, and, I mean, I'm such a, I mean, like, like, I try to be so precise and so clean and 2496, and, you know, like, right. like everything, and then every once in a while you go, oh, yeah, that's right. You can do stuff that is yeah. totally fucked up and it's still going to work, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this is cool. I like this. 
Yeah, it totally sounds like a, like a just like a boombox yeah. set up in a corner or something. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I find this really interesting because there's, I feel like we have so many, I'm not sure how to even word this, um, you and I are constantly talking about the same aesthetics, the same, the same guts and the same backbones <laughs> for music and art, but with totally different genres. Yeah. And when you play me something like this and you talk about production and you talk about things like it's this is black metal yeah, yeah. I mean this it's it's, it's it's so interesting <laughs> and that's that's what I love about conversations like this is we have a lot of commonalities but we have a lot of differences too but I feel like the commonalities are like more like instincts but if if you were to say like your favorite bands and my favorite bands would be like vastly different yeah but really at the core there's a lot of similarities yeah for sure which I think that's fascinating right I mean that's that's awesome oh I totally agree yeah it's like so I have this thing about like you know yeah I'm an old punk hippie I'm a pippy or a A punk or a hunk I don't know one of the two hunk (laughs) (laughs) a hunky a hunky or a pippy pippy Yeah. yeah Yeah. So anyway, um, it's the whole thing about um, resonating frequencies. So, yeah. and you get this because you play music. So yeah. you take a string and you pluck that string. If you pluck another string, it can it can do multiple things. It can uh, have, create a harmony. So you have a harmony between those two strings. It can create discord. Yeah. Um, so what I find is that every person and every place relates to that. So yeah. on, a, on a very basic level, the people who um, create harmony are people you kind of tend to like to be around because those yeah. people, they, 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 it accentuates who you are and kind of ex- expands. Mm-hmm. The people who create discord, you're kind of put off by them and you don't really want to be around them. Right. Same thing with locations. You walk into a town, you're like, eh, this place just doesn't yeah. feel good. Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Baltimore. <laughs> Dallas. Um, oh. or, or, or you walk into a place and you go, wow, this place feels nice. Yeah. I like this. This resonates, you know? Yeah. Um, and then on the extreme level, so that's the kind of the basic levels. Your tone, harmony, disharmony. Yeah. Then you have the extremes of that, which is on the disharmony side, 180 degrees noise canceling. It negates your life. Yeah. You pluck your string, they pluck their string, they cancel each other Nothing. out. Yeah. Nothing. Because it's it's so caustic. Then you go to the opposite side, which is awesome, mm-hmm. which is sympathetic vibration. Yeah. You pluck your string, that string, you don't even have to touch the other one. It starts vibrating Resonate. and yeah. starts resonating yeah. because 
they're in sympathetic vibration. Right. And that's that's when you connect on the absolute deepest levels. Yeah. So the thing with music is like, you know, we're looking at the same sort of resonant frequencies. Mm -hmm. They just have different names and they have different ways that we're coming into them. Yeah. But they have the but they have the same response. Right. So you and I can have the exact same response to two different pieces of music, but since we understand not understand because they resonate in a way that's so deeply with us that that connects we don't have to like the other piece of music right to still connect in that same way well and but i think it's even more than not liking it not being well, familiar not, with yeah, it yeah, or yeah, like yeah. not being from yeah i'm not saying not like it in the sense it's just like it, it it hasn't influenced us right you know that it's like it's oh not, i it's i get part that. of our background right exactly yeah. like like oh that resonates with you oh well then maybe i should take a step there because right. i resonate with you so therefore you know, right. the, you know yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's interesting yeah okay what do you got common theme here that reminded me of something that in my world is very predictable and people are going to be like oh Okay, he went there. That's boring. That's like me playing Pink Floyd, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, that's kind of what this is. But again, I really have to pee. <laughs> that's why you put on a long track. Yeah. <laughs> that's what editing is for. Exactly. <laughs>